Larry Surgeon. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Aviation RC New Podcast. My name is Joe. And I am Matt. And today is episode 79. We're going to be talking uh, a bit about servos and hopefully more than one episode's worth. We're going to see how this episode goes and how much material we tear through in the process. But Matthew, it's been a month. How you been, right? Man? Right? Uh, yeah, it's been longer than it feels like. Um, yeah, I've been doing good. I've uh, been getting a chance to do some... I'll call it interesting things in the hobby, which has been making me pretty happy about that. So nice, um, yeah. And and it feels like oh, we we just came back, and it's like, and we did a lot of things since we came back. So we have. Well, it's it's well, thank you. Yeah, it's been a month, so hopefully I, we've done a couple things. We have. So <sighs> what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about you. You brought up uh, uh, you found a pile of information on servos. So we talked about servos way back when. We talked about it in a uh, I put it deep enough where you can kind of understand how they work and how they how they do the thing. But um, you found a pile of new information, and it's been a while. So let's we're going to talk about servos today. Uh, mostly well, we're going to we'll see up. how much of it's new. Maybe yeah, we'll see. Maybe it, it ultimately just maybe it's just ultimately that we are able to approach this now with going on three years of uh, experience since we first started this? That's one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I, hey, when I anyway. first pulled all the notes, I thought it was a lot more to it, and I started reading through them, and I was like, oh. No, but mind. we'll we'll talk about servos. Um, we'll probably go a little bit beyond our depth. We're just two guys who enjoy the hobby, so it's what it is. Um, I've pulled a couple of those apart and used them for unusual purposes, but not quite as uh, aggressively as others. So um, if you're a listener and you uh, hear us get it wrong, reach out, let us know, so we can make a correction and help everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're going to finally get to the history segment I put together way long ago when Ben was here. Uh, the C-47, uh, sorry, C-46 Commando. That's, that's right, you did put something together way back. Yeah, it was the plane his, uh, I think he said his grandfather. Oh, or now I can't remember. Oh my God. Anyway, he said that his, one of his relatives had uh, piloted that plane while they were in the service. Mm -hmm. um, but otherwise we're here to kind of catch up and talk about what we have done. Cause it's been more than I think we thought it was going to be. So let's get started. Sure. Um, you want me to go first? Yeah. That'll, that'll yeah. help me remember. <laughs> John, yeah. all the, get all the spiders moving out of the, out of the web nest in my head here. Well, it's been a bit. It's been, I mean, a lot of what I've done involves you, and mm -hmm. then you've probably done more to me, so. Eh, uh, let's see. We got back from Flight Fest, um, put the episode together, kind of last minute, but did get it together. The weekend after Flight Fest, I ended up driving back up to your place. I know. Uh, that was and, a good surprise. Oh, yeah. And Mike drove down, and... Mm -hmm. <clears throat> actually if i'm if i'm remembering yeah in that week i i before flight fest i was talking about i had the edge the ft edge uh yep. 540 something other and that i hadn't built it but you know it was eventually on the build table 
Well, then the, I got back from Flight Fest and like three nights, knocked out the edge and had it ready to go. And I hauled it up to your place along with the, the Noob Wonder and the Flurkin uh, yes, for did. a maiden. So, Which I was surprised uh, in, a, in a lot of ways. One, that you'd been able to plow through the edge build and had built that. You built it really quick. It and went together was, really quick. Uh, well, part of it, uh, you've got some dedicated time finally to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, you know, sit down and do the thing when you felt like it, which is awesome. And you, you put that together really well and really quickly. Uh, I would say uh, within a week, you it was ready to go. So, yeah, talk, so talk about that. How um, was the build experience? I was pleased with it generally. Um, it was, again, I, I, like I classified the, the Flurkin as like a Master Series light. And I think in some ways the... Uh, the edge kind of lined up similar with that in some areas. It had, okay. especially that front nose area is very, uh, very noticeable. And, you know, just, I don't know. I, I love the whole nose section of that plane. It just looks good. Um, yeah. There's a lot of geometry in there. And so that's a lot of like bending and shaping, but again, not curling. Um, right, right. It's not the I master was, series where you're pulling off paper and curling and shaping and and whatnot it's right it's a lot of facets so that's involved um and it's it's complex it's not a simple like uh former and shell or box and shell yeah there's a lot more going on in there i was um if i remember the build build video sorry yeah no you're good when i was building it so it starts out with a central like tray that you're going to build the plane around um and that's sort of like the 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 tray that your battery's going to sit on and some of your internal electronics and then that's like it's an a fold up or a b fold or whatever but then you also build the plane around that so i was very i was very pleased with how the outside uh tied in with that central tray when it had notches so that when you did the a-fold like there were tabs that stayed down and kind of protruded out a bit further than the sides were and i thought that was a little odd but it made sense when i went to fold the fuselage around itself that there were uh areas where you remove the foam you know rectangular areas that you'll dig the foam out but leave the paper on the outside and that slots in or slots over those areas that were hanging out just a little bit. And it, it served as like a, an alignment, a locking in, a here's where it's supposed to be. Yeah. So there was a, there was a great, lot of great that. for assembly. Yeah, there was a lot of that within the build. I was like, okay, when, you, when it goes together, you know it's going together right because the stuff is going to fit. Um, as long as you take some time with certain areas you're going to get the thing square and right. And I think that's the first time I've had a horizontal slash vertical stab situation where they're square uh, and in line. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it, like to, to put it all together, it required it. All that was squared up and it was very, I don't want to say overly reinforced, but it was definitely a solid put together of that. So I didn't have to worry about, you know, am I gluing it and it's already kind of crooked? Like, you put it in there and it's squared up. So that was nice. Okay. Um, nice. 
and then get the electronics and all put in. I ended up pulling the CPAC out of the Corsair. Um, so not saying I'm done with the Corsair. Just no, no. I need, I, just I need a CPAC motor for now. Yeah, for now. I just needed a CPAC motor. Um, <clears throat> and just continuing on with the edge, uh, I took it out there to your field when I came up and a uh, fellow by the name of Zach, I think it is, that was out there. Yep, uh, Zach Marshall. Zach Marshall. So hey, he Zach. was at, yep, hey Zach, if you're listening. Uh, he was flying his, what's he got, like a fiberglass or something uh, uh, edge? Yeah, I'm not. He's got the traditional balsa one, I think. Okay. So he's out there flying his <clears throat> edge and, I mean, flying it like crazy. He's so he's. Uh, I believe I've mentioned him once or twice. I mean, he's one of the. He's one of those guys who's been flying since he was three, and it shows. Um, he's probably had every plane under the sun, and then some. He's the kind of guy who a lot of people are like, "Oh, what do you have this week?" You know, um, but it's it's a different style. People ask me that because I, I built something different. Uh, there, and not that he didn't build it, but uh, oftentimes he will build and sell and then swap and. Like, so he'll have a different model almost every time. Mm-hmm. And the day that we were out there, he was, it just so happened he was flying his Edge, um, which mine was just the foam board version of his. So I was watching him fly, and he prop hangs and knife edges, and he dances with that thing and makes it do things that it shouldn't do. So um, I walked up to him, and you know, announced that I was walking up on his side and said, look, I'm just going to watch your stick inputs for a bit and watched him fly. And then once he landed, I said, look, I don't want to be forward. Uh, and I don't want to be rude or off-putting. I said, but I think mine's just exactly yours, just foam board. Would you, would you want to take it up and put it through its paces and check out the construction and, you know, basically bank and yank it. And I want to see if it can do what, you know, what yours is doing, essentially. But also, you know, like, I'd have maidened it and been fine, but it was also nice to have somebody experienced that could fly those kind of planes to take it up and fly it. Oh, yeah. And honestly, and I think I mentioned it to you earlier, but uh, I'll mention it here. You know, I was really proud. That was something that it's not easy to do, is to kind of go up to somebody you don't know well. Obviously, they, they're showing you, like, they, they know what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Um but to say, hey, you know, here's this untested plane. I uh, would love it if you could make sure that it's, you know, safer for my consumption here. And, uh, you know, did you tell him it was your maiden flight on that? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think he knew before it went up that it was that it hadn't flown yet. Um, and I know part of his words to me was, well, if I break it, I'm not liable. Like if I, like if I fly it in the wings fold or something, I'm not liable. That's yeah. You know, I essentially said if you fly it in the wings fold, I didn't build it right. <laughs> so I want you to put it through its paces proper. Um, and he flew it great. I mean, he he prop hung it a bit and he knife edged it and he did inverted and um he did some tricks with it. He didn't he didn't overly stress it, um, but he put it through some general paces and I was pleased to see that it. Flew generally well. Um, you know, he was flying off my transmitter, and so I kind of ran down. And so this is something to know if you ever want to do this. Uh, be ready to 
quickly run over your transmitter with somebody and say, here's how it's set up for this plane. If you, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, if, he, he, I remember him asking, it's kind of like, all right, where's the, where's the motor shut off and what, what does what here? What are your rates? Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, told him, here's my motor shut off. Here's my rate control. Here's what each of the positions are doing on those rates. Um, you know, here's how things are set up. And he asked me, uh, do you have expo? I said, yep, running Expo at like, I think I'm running Expo 60, Expo 80 or something like that. Um, and I was very quickly throwing that model together in my transmitter, and I thought that I had set it up properly. When I handed it to him, I'd already figured, I'd already noticed that one of my ailerons was not uh, set up properly. It didn't have uh, Expo on the aileron. The other aileron did, but the, the one didn't. And so I noticed differences in the movement. So I got that straightened out. And the elevator had um, had Expo on it because I caught, I had basically taken the Flurkin model. and I, I took my Flurkin, copied it, and made that the base model that I was you know, modifying for the edge just to have some things put together. And what I didn't do then, the reason the, the aileron didn't have Expo on it, the one didn't, is because I added that aileron after the fact. And so I had to go back in and add the Expo. Well, I also had to go back in and add the rudder. And the whole flight, he was telling me, that rudder is touchy. That rudder's touchy. No matter what I do, mm-hmm. that rudder's touchy. And I thought I had Expo on the rudder. Once he set it down, I went looking through the settings. I didn't have Expo on the rudder. So I, you know, hey, my bad. Turns out there wasn't Expo or reduction on the rudder. It was just full tilt the whole time. And he still flew it great, you know? Yeah. And then I did, and then I did, mm, I'm trying to remember if I flew it or not that day. Uh, no, you did. You did took I? it up. You took it up, okay. I think, right after that. And there's sort of flew it around. You, you did not attempt uh, a bunch of maneuvers. Um, per se, like you were doing a bunch of 3D <laughs> hanging yeah, by the yeah. prop, go inverted, zip around at a 90 and all the kind of stuff that he was, uh, he was putting it through its paces for a minute. Well, I knew I couldn't. Right. Well, exactly. And you were at least <laughs> smart enough to do that. See, I would have went, oh, look, it goes inverted real easy like, and then I would have done it. And then you know, anyway, that would have been the last of the plane. But mm-hmm. um, That's why you're smarter than me when it comes to that kind of thing, for sure. Um, but no, you took it up and you flew it and you're like, oh, I cause I, and that's, I think where you're like, oh, I see what he means by the touchy, touchy, uh, rudder. Um, and then I think you looked into it. Oh, duh. <laughs> no yeah. Well, the other thing he was talking about was the, um, the motor torque. So any, any time he was giving it, anytime there was throttle engaged, it was pulling, I think to the right. Um, and so he was having to add left throttle or left rudder to offset or it was you know pulling one way or the other when there was you know when it was throttled up he said when you if you go high up you pull you pull the throttle back and you let it just come down he said you don't see that but the moment you add throttle you see it starting to pull um and that's where there was no um what was the word there was no offset there was no angle on the uh in the power pod to to offset that okay so yeah. 
I may I may see if I can go in and add a washer or something under the motor yeah. the first time I've gone back in after the fact of making an adjustment like that. But with that well, plane... That's, uh, that's traditionally what people do. They'll, they'll yeah. just add a washer in the back and then... Because that way you don't have to... You know, most of the time people are, are hard mounting, you know, the, the, the motor mount. So, I mean, the, the motor itself is literally just you're readjusting the screws. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the... Uh, the I guess the the comfortable option of pulling the power pod out and doing it separate from the plane. Most people kind of have to pull apart the whole plane and then you know do that stuff. Uh, if they got to pull out the, the cowl, the cowl top or or whatever to be able to get at it. Yeah. So the the power po- the the firewall in this build is built in, like it's glued to the central frame. That's not a power pod that pulls out. I'm sorry, Joe. I think I missed. Did I? Did I need input on that? <laughs> you did. <laughs> I know you're you're typing with Lee. Well, um, you know, I, look. Unfortunately, uh, well, fortunately, we we have a, a listener who's kind of in the wings listening, which is great. And I'm just, I made the mistake <laughs> of saying hey, and having a quick conversation that he's pushing all the happy buttons of the what ifs for next flight fest, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about in a second. It's good. It was just yeah. that long, awkward pause of like, man, Matt, you leave me hanging. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I don't even remember what I was expecting from you at that point. Moving on. Ultimately, I was really pleased with not just uh, what you've been able to come up with. You, you built uh, at a speed I wasn't expecting. You uh, nope. did the incredible, not that I'm, I don't expect you to do the smart thing, but you did the incredibly smart thing by, Asking for expert advice, which thankfully you're also smart enough to know that's not me. Um, but yeah, no, to, uh, to be able to have right. him, you know, Zach was a really great choice for for having somebody really look over the plane and just see and then have him show you what it can do mm-hmm. so that you're kind of inspired like, OK, this will be really cool if I can get this plane to do what he just, you know, what he just showed me it can do. Um, yeah. You know, good, good inspiration. So good on you. And, and uh, speaking I'm, of yeah, go, sorry. No, that's it. That's it. Sp- speaking of guys that um, providing guidance and help, uh, Mike came down that day and flew with us. Before and we'll continue the, that stuff in a minute. But before he left, I don't have the book on me, and I can't remember the name of it. But he handed me a book that would. It was like the first of a series that went over aerobatic maneuvers. Yeah. Um, so uh, I've got, iMac. Is it iMac? Uh, iMac is a, yeah, it's a the modeling um, aerobatic thing. Okay. Hold on, I'll get the so, name in a second here. Well, you're good. So I'll be slowly making my way through that as I go out and continue to fly. I have flown that plane since uh, since I came back from your place. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, yeah, I took some kids out flying, which I, I'll talk about in a little bit, but took them out flying. But while you know, I flew that plane at the end of it, um, and when I had it up there in Fayetteville and when I had it down here, I greased all the landings. Uh, so there's no funny, uh, well, there's grass marks on a bottom, but there's no scrape marks. There's no, the, the, the edge has the wing tip plates and I've not boogered them up. So everything's still pristine looking. Oh, I've yeah. been, very, been very pleased with that. Um, 
without taking up too much more time, uh, took the wonder of the Flurkin up there, um, and flew with you and Mike. Yeah. Um, the, the wonder, I don't know if I ever got, I may have gotten a wonder up there with you guys. I did. Um, I did, and I don't remember, but I think I got it up in the air flying. <laughs> I got the uh, flurkin up, but I, um, we went to toss the flurkin, and initially I spun the nut off. That's what it was. I was using that uh, three-bladed prop, okay. and the warble in it, it threw, it uh uh, slung the prop the nut off and so we had to find the whole motor assembly it was the nut and then the threaded shaft and the collar and this that and so oh I borrowed one of your props put it on there mm-hmm. and threw it up there again flew it we had all three flurkins up there we had no the two flurk yeah we had three flurkins no we there. had all three flurkins not for long I think each of us <laughs> each of us had anyway a different way of going down yeah we all had um We'll call it the the wing wobble, um, which is basically after um, you've flown a flurkin and it's landed a couple times, uh, a little roughly. Structure, yeah, yeah. It, there's it's it's an interesting design, but it it, it allows for um, during heavy turn loading. Um, the only thing that keeps the wings, I'll call it, in line, is the little square patch. That's supposed to be glued to the upper U-box. And then that that seam right there, that's really the only thing keeping everything kind of and that in line. Delaminate and... Right, and that delaminates pretty quick. And then once it's done that, now you've got this sl- slightly moving thing. And after a couple turns, it moves more and more and more. And uh, that's what happened to mine. Uh, and I think... Yeah. I, I think um, I had I a bit of that coming from Flight Fest because I caught the yeah. edge of the runway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember seeing a little bit. But yours yours was, I, I don't think that that's why you weren't able to continue. Yours was because of the, the motor issue. Um, and then no. I think Mike and ours, because I, I, I mean, you went down, but it didn't destroy it. No, I went down and I I could have put it up, but up, but the wing wobble had gotten real, mm-hmm. it got really bad. So, mm-hmm. I lost orientation on mine, dumb thumbed it, and just bottom into the right or whatever it is that I do. Um, and somehow, <laughs> it is, it's not what it's supposed. Yeah, we had to look for that thing for a while, but we finally oh. found it, and there was really no damage because uh, she was going in nose first, but managed to pull it, and she essentially behind the hill uh, that was out there in the field. Uh, right. I guess she skidded on the soybeans uh managed to pull managed to pull the nose level with the ground right as she got to it Mm because there wasn't a really any damage anywhere other than the wings got extra waggly so i need to put some reinforcement okay and then uh yeah it was just kind of chilling and having a good time with you and mike oh yeah Um, it was it was a good time for sure yeah and then took took the kids flying. I took the simple sir, uh, simple, no, the tiny trainer out, and I, I still don't have an APAC motor. I need to get one, so I took the 
B-pack and glued the full-size firewall onto the nose of the plane. Just straight hot glued it on, slapped the motor on there, put the battery on top of the wings uh, so that it could be up there, got it balanced right, took it out, chucked it, and I couldn't control her for anything. She just went wild and nosed her in and jacked up the front of the plane, so... Uh, that didn't work. This that was its maiden flight. I was going to try to let the kids fly it. Um, that didn't work. And I said, okay, well, I'll put you guys on the Wonder and we'll buddy box it. And then I couldn't get my other my secondary my my Turnigy to output any signal to my Radio Master. Uh, its external module wasn't transmitting, and I wasn't getting anything through the aux cable. So, could not, couldn't do anything with it. Um, so what I ended up doing was getting the wonder up there, and then having the kids, you know, one by one, basically stand at my elbow and put their hand, put their arm down my arm, resting, and then mm-hmm. you know, kind of or running alongside my arm, whatever was comfortable for them. I said, get your fingers under my under my fingers so you can grab the stick, and right. we'll fly it together. You know, we'll talk through, we'll do what we're doing. You're going to feel me doing a lot of input because I'm keeping it from crashing, but I'm going to do my best to let you fly it. I'm just doing what a flight controller would do and keeping it from going nuts on you. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And before I sent them up, I I gave them a a general rundown of why planes fly and what the control surfaces are doing and this and that. And so it was a good time. Um, It was disappointing. I know they weren't as excited to fly on the same controller that I was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always easier when you have one in your own hands and Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I know that you can take over, but I mean, this one's the one I'm using. Um, but still, you know, they drove clear across town to go flying (laughs) with me and the plane that I wanted to let them fly wasn't flying, uh, didn't fly right. And I wasn't going to stick a noob wonder in their hands you know, out the gate. So I don't know. I got to figure out what I'm going to do about a second transmitter. If, uh, if I think I can get that one working again, or if I'm just going to say, all right, kids, like I'll build, I do want to build them some old fogies, but it might be a look. Y'all need to, you know, get yourselves a transmitter and, you know, we'll buddy box from there. Or if I'm going to get another transmitter, I don't know. I'll figure it out. But that's, that's what I got to look forward to. Okay. Well, and uh, look, I, and that's another thing, like what a great job being um, an incredible ambassador to the hobby and kind of, you know, encouraging kids at the perfect age to see if they want to join, you know, if they want to be part of it. Mm-hmm. Give them at least that opportunity to check it out, and especially if you've already, they're already interested. That's fantastic. I'm really pleased. Well, they're um, it's, interested enough of, to come out and fly with me. So. Yeah. Uh, look, exactly. It's like it's just so cool. I'm I'm really happy to hear that. It makes me I don't know. It makes me some kind of happy way. Um mm. <laughs> and so uh I remember Mike and and I also had our our uh uh what are the flurkins in the air. We were doing our maneuvers. I remember every time I turned, I'm like I have to go more and more gentle on the turn. <laughs> Because it would, my plane would start to sag more and more. I'm like, 
this is going to end pretty badly if I if I don't start bringing it around. But you know, I I was doing okay, and then it you know it started to sag and level flight. Usually, it would be on the turn where you have heavier G forces, the wings would kind of pinch together a bit, and and then you know it started to level back out on the. But like that last pass, it just yeah, uh, it didn't level back out. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, and it didn't make it, and I, I crashed pretty hard. Um, yeah, you did. And, and it looked bad, but I'm looking at it. And the, it like, looked chance, really bad. Oh, it looked bad, yeah, and I ripped it, basically ripped it in half. Um, the, the core is uh, okay, right? Uh, the core is okay, and uh, some of the front needs to probably it probably be replaced at this point because it's gone through at least two or three hard crashes. Um. I need to rebuild the, I'll call it the front football, the football cone mm-hmm. uh, a little bit. But generally speaking, honestly, I could probably glue it back together and some tape and, and I'm ready to go fly it again. When, and I noticed that really it tore at that little square that I was talking about. That's most of where it tore. And then also tore along the seam in the bottom. Well, I can repair that pretty well too. I realized the only way I'm going to repair it though, and to, to go through that effort is to make sure that I have some sort of stiffener between the two wings themselves, basically tying the the wing spars to the box core center level, right? Like there's a mm-hmm. there's a plate and then there's an upper and a lower U-box. That's kind of how this plane is situated. So I need to put um, some sort of uh, spar that goes between the two wing, uh, individual wing spars, across that center plate, tying it all together so that it won't, even if the <clears throat> the skin does delaminate from that center box, um, because that's essentially how it keeps its shape, um, it, that it, the wings will at least stay level. Um, and it'll be, you know, generally pretty pretty flyable at that point. So, um, and, and honestly, because it's a part, it shouldn't be too too much harder to do. So I have that kind of sitting on the side. I've got two planes that I need to put together uh, in that same kind of fashion where they need something. They don't need a lot, but they need something uh, across the center plate. Uh, the Puri is one, and this is uh, the Flurkin's the other. But and, and honestly, I don't remember exactly because it. I wish, <laughs> I wish my brain were a little bit clearer about it, but I remember Mike had a similar kind of issue. I think his wings started to sag just a little bit, and I think either he brought it in um, but I think something happened, and he also had a slight incident. I can't remember how bad it was, though. Um, Do you remember? It was bad enough he wasn't going to fly it again that day. I think he just had like a really extreme version of what mine was, where you know the wing the wing waggle really kicked in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and he's like, he, "Oh, this is no good." Yeah, because he ended up going down way out in the beams. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I just remember having to walk for all of our planes. <laughs> yeah, we, well, all through both of y'all had to come out to help me find mine. Yeah, we did. Like that was a day yeah. of walking. I, I thought for a minute it was going to be uh, the good news was is like the 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 rows were clear, so you could just kind of walk across the rows and look down them, and you can generally check. Yeah, we're clear. You know, and I think we each had a pretty good bead on where it was. And I think Mike ended up finding it. But it was, it was good. So, you know, we all lost our flurkins in <laughs> some fashion or another, uh, possibly to be repaired and, and flown again soon enough. But 
Um, it was what what I liked was we got to fly them again together, and I, it really is pretty incredible that you know having having the ability to fly together with friends really makes a big difference in how much fun you can have. Because I mean, we were doing some things where I think we all had different power systems, and so we were taking a minute when we did get them all up in the air for a minute. We were doing a little bit of attempted uh, formation flying. And then we did a, a couple like acrobatics and things like that, and it was fun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, then, and then we had our own set of issues and problems, but uh, it was good. And you know, I'm trying to remember. Like we, I think uh, we also flew our new Wonders because they were around and they were available, um, which was good. And those are always those are always solid. Um, good times flying those. I know. Um, I think later that week. Uh, I went out and I had an idea uh, fairly recently to basically scale down the the wonder. And I had, uh, I went on a trip right after we came back from, uh, from flight fest, uh, a work trip. And while I was there, I picked up, I went to the, the Dollar Tree was right across from the one hobby store I was looking at. And I'm like, you know what? I want to see if I can make a glider. I got an idea. Let me roll it through. What, how? How, you know, and, and I'm also rolling around an idea about, um, I'll call it a video that's similar to the one that inspired me to get in. I figured if we maybe made an updated version of it, uh, we can inspire others to give this a try, you know, that kind of deal. Um, anyway, I went over to Dollar Tree to see how, how many supplies could I get and how much does it cost to, to get started? Have all the hobby stuff you need to make, to physically make a plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I grabbed uh, all the things. They're all there in the Dollar Tree. So there's the cutting mat. There's a, there's actually an X-Acto knife with X-Acto blades. Uh, it's not X-Acto, but, and it's not the top quality, I promise. But it, <laughs> it does get the, the job trick. done. But it'll get the job done. There's a handful of blades in there. So you can work it out. Uh, a, a little metal ruler, uh, a pen, you know, tape. Uh, uh, let's see. You know, the packing tape as well as regular tape. You also get fancy uh, sparkly tape if you want. Uh, give it some color. And so I ended up creating a KFM uh, symmetrical wing foil, which is basically a flat plate in the back and then kind of like a V-shape in the front. <clears throat> and then I shaped it like a new, you know, the new wonder. So I made a smaller version of it. And, of course, uh, it was raining. <laughs> a bunch. So I basically took it out in the hall and, uh, it, across the, the hotel room and, and gave it a couple throws across the way and, and found I created a pretty darn good, uh, good floating plane. So, and I was eager to come back and turn that in, you know, get the power system, the, the flight test, easy V2 pack on there. And I did short order and had that flying. Uh, and I was also inspired by, I was telling you, uh, a buddy I saw at Flight Fest when in the STEM tent, seeing his, his girlfriend, he's a painter, he has a couple of ideas. He made a bunch of STEM planes, right. and I'm hoping we can get him on because he's he's got a lot of really interesting ideas that I think are, are perfect for getting somebody into the hobby and getting them excited about what they're building. Um, <clears throat> so... And I'm not, I'm not going to divulge. It's a, it's, you know, Travis, if you're listening to this, you know who you are. Um, but yeah, so he was, he was doing some things. And of course that inspired me. I'm like, 
it's basically kind of putting the design in the plane. And with the stem planes, you're kind of removing a lot of the paper to keep it lighter. So if you make the cuts in the right way, when you remove the paper, what's left creates the, the design. Right. Right. The, the color design. So all you have to do is before you, after you cut it, but before you start building, you do a, a quick coat of spray color or tape or something like that. And sure enough, when you're done, you've got a, a full, you know, a fully decorated plane ready to go, which is really cool. <clears throat> so I ended up creating basically a new wonder version of that and paint, you know, did that same technique with all the lines and all that kind of stuff. And I'll tell you what, well, Joe, you have yours. The, the, I, I built two of them. I built one mm -hmm. that was painted like the, the one that we had in both of them that we had in combat. So the orange and blue is the one I built first and the, the blue and orange is the one I gave to you. And that's yours. Hey, and good I, job you know, on I, getting a build video out there. Oh uh, yeah, thanks. So I, I wanted to I wanted to get it out there. I was excited. I'm excited about the FT Easy Pack, the V2, because I feel like it's accessible. You don't need remote ID. It gives you the experience of flying. It's easy to do for a beginner, uh, and that's going to tie back into what I'm about to talk about with Amy. But she helped. She helped out. She came out and she filmed some of the stuff that we were doing, um, and and be able. And she actually went and flew it around a bunch too. She enjoyed it. Um, it just, it was fun. It was a, a good build. I wanted to put together a build video. I've got plans released. So anybody can build one if they want, fly them like we did. Um, and then I also, just recently, um, I had an epiphany before our last weekend um, <laughs> uh, about putting FPV on those little planes. Mm -hmm. the, the FPV camera systems, all in one system, so they're lightweight. They're six grams, maybe 10. And they're all set up, and all you got to do is plug them into the battery connector. So you basically quick solder on the back, and I've got a build video for that I'm almost done with. Um, and it's just a quick little tip on how to how to get your um, – you basically solder a connector for a servo lead because the flight test all-in-one ant cam, because, again, if you're buying the easy system, add an ant cam to it. Uh, and it comes with um, basically a servo uh, end a JR servo connector at the end. And it's okay. just set up with a red and black wire, no signal wire. So it's just producing power. So if you create like the, the female end of that and, and hook it and solder it directly to the power leads coming in from the battery, like at the board, you can then basically hook that, that camera up to the board. And whenever you plug in your battery, the camera starts up and then you turn on the switch to power the rest of the stuff. And there you go. Now you're okay, flying with I, FPV. Yeah, I think I see what you're saying. And, and it's real simple. The, the video doesn't take much. Uh, matter of fact, I, <laughs> I went last night. I went the other night, and I I did a quick film of um, a plane idea I had, and I put the camera on it, and that's what I used to kind of film the, the, the video. So at like 11 o'clock at night, there's a little bit of video of me flying around circles in, in the front of, <laughs> front of my house. Why am I um, surprised? No, you shouldn't be surprised at this point. <laughs> um, so we did that. So I've been trying to do a little bit to kind of, um, you know, things that we can do to promote beginners in the hobby. If you're new and you've never done it and you want to get started and have success, I, I really feel, and I felt like this before Flight Test started, uh, I'll call it evolving that um, freighter. 
because I, I, it's a C17. I, I taught ages ago, and I took that system on, oh, we can do things with this. And, you know, I, I wasn't able to really understand it as well, but they've definitely evolved it in positive ways. You know, mm-hmm. they made it so that it has a lot more range, uh, has a little bit more power that it can connect to your uh, Jumper T16. Oh, I also created a video on how to connect it to your Jumper T16. So that way anybody can fly it with whatever, you know, if they've got a Radio Master or a Jumper T16, you can connect any anyone with a 4 in module open TX system, you can connect to this plane. You can connect to that easy pack with your transmitter. Mm-hmm. And I go through how to set up your channels too. So that way you can power the lights and do the rates. I was, well, okay. There you go. I was about to say, why? No, even then. So what would be the benefit of uh, having it on? Uh, uh, I see Ra, I see Ra Ra's point, but ignore that one for a moment. Uh, what would be the point of having it bound to, say, the Radio Master instead of the controller that it comes with because i i don't know about you but i don't like to bring 16 different transmitters to the field so i can fly each individual plane i've got this isn't the 1970s or 80s for that matter now we have the technology where we can take one transmitter and bind it to whatever we have so now all we have to do is remember one transmitter that that has batteries that they're charged and as long as we have that we'll be able to fly whatever we bring done Hallelujah. Thank you. Okay. Fair point. (laughs) And when you've got these little planes, you've got these little transmitters, you're throwing a bunch of these things in the box. I've got ones with little oranges, and those only work with the C-17s because they're the old ones. But then there's caveats with that. And then, of course, you've got uh, Flight Test made the V-1, their version. That transmitter hooked up with... uh, You basically only hooked up with kind of one at a time. And... I don't know how I don't know how to describe it, but basically, if you don't have the transmitter that you bound to the board, you you kind of have to. It's not easy to connect, right? And mm. then of course you have um, this new version, which if you've got one of those boxes, you can connect to whatever, and you basically every time you turn it on, you connect, and then you're good. And nobody else can connect to it while you're connected, which is really important. That wasn't the case with the original models. Oh, if really? somebody else turned on their transmitter and started to bind, they could have bonded to yours and controlled your plane by accident. To your easy you were, pack? They were closer. Hmm? To your easy pack? No, it's not. Uh, the, the To the C-17s, way back in the, the very first version. It was basically a, a Chinese, China special. The oh, Banggood, okay. I think, sold them. And they were great. Again, they're still great. Um, they're great. They're same, you know, they're stabilized. They fly for 20 minutes. You know, they can handle most of the wind. They, and they come with lights. Like, you can't beat that. Um, but the problem is, is it, I bought two. I bought ones for my son and ones for me. And, and we were, I was hoping we would all fly together. But the problem is, is one would get their plane in the air and the other one would get their started and start to bind it. And it would bind to the plane that's already in the air. So now I got two transmitters trying to control the one plane, which doesn't leave for good feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's just say. So, I mean, there's been slight upgrades as we go, and I really appreciate that Flight Test has continued to develop that to the point where I think they're at a point where 
I think the only thing they might want to work on is increasing the power throughput to the motors so they can increase the size of the motors, possibly, because right now they're 7 by 20 cans, 7 millimeters by 20. So they don't want them too big because that... You, they won't, they won't at, need at eight and a half so. or eight by twenties, that's about as big as a can as you're going to get. At that point, you're starting to get to different different caliber of motor, but you you know it just means you're only getting an extra like half an inch on the prop, but it does make a difference. Um, it's just they're they're pulling a little bit too much power through, is what I've noticed because I put on bigger motors, and um, when I go full throttle, it it uh, over, uh, it basically. Um, it does a protection. So it turns everything off briefly, lets everything cool down, and then allows it, and then it basically restart, restarts the system mm-hmm. um, after a cool down period. But um, that's okay. I mean, that's a protective measure that I'm glad they put in there. You know, if you're basically over overpowering, you're pulling too much power through the system, it, it safety shuts, which is good to know. Um, so I got to go back and put on the seven inch can motors and stuff. I've got a couple concepts that I, I plan on doing. You know how I made a, a, a Gosling, a spruce Gosling. Uh, huh. I'm going to do a micro spruce Gosling. Okay. I know somebody had suggested, I wasn't sure if you were actually going to do it. Oh, I, I'm going to do it. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure I had the right setup and then I'm, I'm pulling enough stuff through anyway. So uh, I've been working through that. So that's yeah. Four easy packs all bound together. So what, what, that's the other thing is if all the easy packs are on and ready to be bound and nobody else is trying to bind, when you bind your transmitter, it will bind to all four of those. That's So now you can create a B-24 <laughs> bomber. You know what I mean? Like with a little bit of ingenuity, you can make a multi-prop a multi um, prop plane. And you can do cl- the push, push your, yeah, if, push your if polar. For clarification, as I understand, it's not just the radio master i'll do that but the the controllers that come with the easy kits they'll mm-hmm. they'll also bind to multiple of the easy right. packs at the same time exactly and, and that's how they're set up so basically they're set up where once you power them on they go into um uh, a call call and response kind of mode where they're waiting for the transmitter to say hey i'm your transmitter i'm the one going to control you and they're like okay great and then everybody mm-hmm. shuts down that mode so they go into basically a, a bind, a bind mode, for a certain amount of seconds, and they they're basically waiting for that transmitter to send back the code, like, "Hey, I'm talking to you." <laughs> so once they do that, then they say, "Okay, we're already ha- we're already bound. Now I know who we're talking to. We're talking to Jim, or whoever mm-hmm. it is. Like we're talking to that transmitter." And then at that point, they stop listening to anybody but that transmitter, which is smart. I mean, it's it's not crazy. It's kind of what most of the transmitters already do. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's just it it's different because these are the like they're they're toy grade. So they basically once you turn them on, they automatically just say we're going to do a bind sequence. Whereas our transmitters, our our receivers do that bind sequence, find Jim, and then they stop asking who's who's going to talk to me today. Mm-hmm. These ask every time they start up. That's all. That's the difference. Yeah. And anyway, it's not a, it's not like a two-way bind the way that the other receivers are. It's what just a one-way bind because they can be bound multiple packs to the same 
transmitter. So it's not so much that they're. Now, I, I hadn't watched your binding video, but I'm assuming it's not so much that the transmitter is binding with them as much as they're binding to the transmission from that transmitter. Right. Yeah. And and therefore, multiple of them can listen because they're not locking on and telling the transmitter, I'm your exclusive receiver. Right. Okay. Right. And, I don't wanna, right. I don't and that's the thing is it forgets. Down. Every time you turn it off, it goes, oh, I forgot. So when it yeah. turns on, it gets, who am I talking to again? Every time. Well, I mean, on some level, it's kind of nice because you don't have to carry a bind cable. It It is. It, it's a way to do it, so it makes it easy to do, but um, you don't have to have any onboard memory storage or there's no read-only stuff that it writes or anything like that. There's Because there's a little bit of model memory mm-hmm. in on those chips to obviously be able to write what transmitter, what's the protocol, what, what, who are we talking to? What's the, what's the password, right? And these don't have a password. Like once it's powered up, it does the thing. And if it stores it that long, once the power's gone, it, it, you know, it doesn't have any storage. So, so anyway, so that's, uh, so that's pretty, that's what I've been kind of doing and working on, but I'm also working on, um, uh, like I said, a secret project where the, 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 uh, follow up to the, the video that inspired me to get in, um, and I, I'm coming closer to that. I picked a plane that I think will work. Um, if not, I, I might be doing the tiny trainer. Honestly, dude, that's like that, you've seen the ones of Flight Fest. Some of those that go like stink. Yeah. Oh boy, those go fast. Yeah, I saw one of the kids flying that, and I was just like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> right. <laughs> it's it's just like, jeez, man. All right. Yeah. So uh, I'm working on that project. I've got those plans uh, tentatively drawn up, so I'm probably going to be building those in the next couple of days. So that's going to be good. Um, my birthday is around the corner, so I've, uh, uh, there's a number of purchases that are on their way in now. Um, so those will be exciting to goof around with over this weekend. Um, but yeah, oh, and speaking of, so then this past weekend, you and I got together for D&D, and I had that camera system. That's mm-hmm. what I was working on, The like, when you were arriving. I was, like, testing that idea. I'm like, wait a second. Well, we could bind this whole thing to the thing. And so I did an initial test. I wanted to see if we can we can connect the camera to the LED outputs because the LEDs have a switch, an on and off power switch, which right. means you can turn on and off the camera. You don't have to keep it on. So basically you could land and then turn the camera off, and then when you want to fly again, you turn the camera back on, and you know what I mean? And that would have been ideal, but the output voltage on those is three volts. And most cameras or most transmitters need five volts or or three, at least 3.3 volts. Uh, so a single cell power to, to be able to function. So unfortunately, this camera is one of those, which is, again, fine. But um, well, we, so I, could, we talked I couldn't about a in. method to overcome that. Well, and that's where I said it's just, it's just I, not I just the most went. Elegant. Yeah, well, yeah, well, that just means that once it's, you have to disconnect the camera every time. It would be nice if you had it on and you had it plugged in, and all you had to do was, you know, uh, recharge your battery, plug it in, and then when you hit the power switch, you know, you basically had an on-off switch for the whole system would be wonderful, and an individual on-off switch for the camera. That would have been even cooler. However, now it's just one of those, you plug in your battery, it's powering the camera already. You turn on the plane, and then you, you know, and you do the rest, which the good news is, is you can basically still have all your LED stuff 
Um, and that should be a lot of fun. So, mm-hmm. um, so I've already powered, I've already put this on two different planes to kind of see how it looks. Uh, one looks like a round orbiter. That's, that's also to pull out a different idea that I've been rolling around since we came back from flight fest. Cause we had conversations last weekend also about, you know, it's the 10th anniversary. We did pretty good making big, um, I'll call it making a splash as it were, um, at flight fest. At least I think we did. I think we did pretty good. Um, and we're thinking like, what do we want to do this next year? I definitely want to continue to involve the community, whether that be everybody builds something to bring and to be part of that, or do we do, or we incite, you know, have everybody in the community kind of come together and help us build something. Um, I'm inclined to say, Hey, build one of these things and you can make it part of this ridiculous thing we're about to do. Um, I'm some sort of, I'll call it version of an aircraft carrier, right? Um, something along those lines, but, um, we've got to develop it. And honestly, we want to hear everybody's ideas. Honestly, if you're listening and you have ideas as to what you think you'd prefer to do, like a, like a community build, kind of like a Peter Shreeple does. Um, he always builds something at flight fest and then puts it in the air and it's always some sort of ridiculous giant something. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure that we'll be doing something that scale or quality, but um, we could certainly do that, but I'm thinking more like everybody builds one of these kind of things, whatever that is. And then we build something that caters to highlighting all of those ridiculous, some things we just built <laughs> as a community. Yeah. You've got an idea in mind and I'm just still trying to wrap my head around how we'd make that work. So I'm, I'm working on it. Did you see, do you know what a geobat looks like? A what? Geobat. Can't say that I do. I'm going to get you a picture right here. Uh, there. Uh, why does it have to be like that? Uh, that's my fault. I went into a video instead of an image. Good job. Yeah. Um, yeah, this will work. If you look in the chat window, you can see it. Uh, it's basically a disc-shaped plane with a couple of vertical stabs um, Mm -hmm. that's kind of hollow in the center. And and my thought is, is if we could have a bunch of those kind of rubber band launched out of a plane, it'd be a lot of fun. Oh, so you're just going ahead and giving away the full Monty there. Well, that's an idea, right? Like, but if somebody's got other ideas, I want to hear them. Uh, I think (laughs) we we also had, uh, I also have been rolling around for a long time. The idea of doing the 747 and the experimental jet planes. You know, and having those coming out of a 747 mm-hmm. and then launching, which, which is kind of ridiculous. Uh, the idea with that concept was then to also have it land in and basically be caught by the 747 and brought into the fuselage again. So basically be a, a flying aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's, a, that's a whole separate thing. But my thought that this disc, if you've ever had one of those little disc foam disc guns like a, as a kid... Um, I think that might be fun. It would be interesting as implementation, to say the least. Yeah, definitely. Yep, definitely. And I'm thinking, you know, you have a we as a, it would be a big structure, right? Whatever we'd build to house these, and that would basically be sitting on top of each other. I mean, as mm-hmm. they dropped in to the to the launch bay, you know, we'd have a little camera so people could see who's next. 
<laughs> well, what you were getting at when you talked about the us getting together this last weekend was you brought the oh, right. uh, <laughs> the micro noob out um, mm-hmm. with the camera, and after a full day of awesome D and D, thanks. We were hanging. You're welcome, and thank you. It was we were it hang- was awesome. It was good. <laughs> We were hanging out at um, one of your friend's house, and uh, she's got multiple acres uh, for her horses, and we just went in her backyard and chucked the the micro noob up and mm-hmm. flew it around and flew FPV. It was my first time flying FPV. Yeah, uh, that's not true. Oh, I well, guess you weren't flying through the goggles, right? I had the goggles mm-hmm. last time you flew that I remember out. Yeah, I've not flown FPV yet. Cool. So that then that's even better. Um, no, but I, I just knew like we had it. It was ready to go, and I wanted to test the system and see how it, see how well it did. Um, the the wind was light enough, and uh, yeah, and it's one of those things so portable, it's ridiculous, you know. So yeah, good, it was just hook a battery up to it, power it up, and yep. chuck it in the air, and then go fly around for what like ten minutes. Yeah, which, which uh, those things continue. Like, given the size of that battery they run off of, it really impresses me how long those things fly. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, and that's so. part of why I'm so excited about those. Like, I was excited about them when they were the original, kind of not the the best deal. I'm like, they this is at the edge of something great, you know. Like, mm-hmm. and that's the thing is, you know, uh, Amy has. Uh, hi, Amy. By the way, she's listening now. Um, she has an F-22 that uh, she flies, and it's the same kind of system where it's like two small propellers, two small motors, geostabilized, not geostabilized, but it's just stabilized and, and all that kind of stuff. And she, matter of fact, one of the things that she did is when we were out, you know, she was flying hers around and she's enjoying it, but her son's, uh, it's her son is pretty excited about always interested, like, oh, can I fly, you know? And she's like, yeah, this is simple enough where he's like, I'll, I'll control the throttle. You, you do the left and right and we'll work together to fly this. Uh, you know, and he was controlling the one stick kind of like you had with the other guys, mm-hmm. you know, here you, you do this stick, I'll do this stick and you listen to what I'm saying and we'll bring it back safe. Right. Um, and it's small so that if you mess it up, like you're not going to mess it up, you know, even, even the, you know, the foam ones, like you can hit it hard and it'll, it's so lightweight there's no real damage to be done. So, um, and I, I guess with the newer power pack, there's enough extra power in them. There's an ex- enough extra thrust where it's more forgiving on how you build. Like you don't have to be incredibly efficient with your build and the weight. Like with the original ones, there's not, there's barely enough power to, you have to be very careful as to how much it weighs. If it weighs too much or you didn't have enough lift, like if you're too draggy, you're going to be in trouble because it won't have enough speed to get the lift right. Mm. So you you have and it, and it's kind of cool actually. That's even better. Like you learn a lot because you realize you got to be very efficient with your build. You you can't just oh I'm going to build this and it'll work because there's plenty of power. Um, but as a new person, that's that's a lot to put on somebody. Right. So I I kind of like that's why I like the new uh, more powerful system better. Because I, I think it leaves the opportunities open for when you get excited to really try try your ideas out and have some success with it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm all about it. 
I, I love I love the idea behind those, and I think it's worth uh, pushing, um, uh, you know, and and getting people to be inspired to to try their hand at stuff. So, um, anyway, so we're gonna do that. Um, so she, a- Amy got her son to fly that around. She had su- they had success. He really enjoyed that very much, um, which is really cool. And it was really neat to be able to see that. Uh, Amy got some more stick time on the Aero Scout, which was, you know, she's getting more comfortable with the idea of what a rudder can do um, because the Aero Scout elevator is very small movements, very minimal. So you kind of, if you need to make a turn, you're most likely going to have to, because there's no yank on the bank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you kind of have to have rudder input and that's actually good training. So it's uh, really done well. And then I also realized that I don't know why, but if I hold my momentary stick on my thing, it, it turns off safe or something. Huh? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know why it's doing what it does, but I notice when you do, when I hold it, when, when I hold the momentary switch in, I undo safe, which means I can go and fly it like a normal plane. So hmm. it's not in safe mode. So it doesn't auto keep it from turning too far and it doesn't, you know, keep it docile. Like, no, it, you can do all the things. I flew it inverted. I did loops. We did rolls. It was great. <laughs> it was better than cats. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really cool. And then if I let it go, it goes back into safe mode. So it'll, it'll write itself and, and keep it level. So that was a pretty cool little side note. So I've been busy with a lot of different things. Like I said, I've got uh, plans in the fire. I've got excitement about the easy pack. I'm putting out videos that I hope will help people continue to be excited about getting into the hobby or trying different aspects of the hobby. Um, yeah. And there's more to talk about in the next couple of weeks because I've got so many exciting things kind of on their way in that I'm looking forward to seeing what comes of it in the next couple of months. Well, that's awesome. It's been a good and couple I, of weeks. You and I haven't been talking. I won't say we haven't been talking, but we're not doing like daily phone calls at this point. So, you know, I'm I'm in the dark about a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's some of the nice things. And like, it's nice to, when we don't, because it's always a, it's a pleasant surprise to hear what you've been dealing, you know, doing and building or, or taking care of it at your house. And I'm sure it's the same when you're like, oh, wait, you're working on what? Cool. <laughs> Mm-hmm. neat um but uh yeah also having those conversations with you during the week though helps keep some of the things uh in my head that way when we talk about it here i can remember it <laughs> so i don't know it's a mixed bag i, I miss our talks though that's for sure yeah all right let's see so that brings us i guess that's about most that's most of it I think that's everything. a lot of stuff in the last month it's been for a us lot. Yeah, it's been a lot, and it's been encouraging. We've also seen some more activity on our on our forums, so um, I appreciate, I, I want to say thank you to all the people who are in our Discord forum. If you haven't joined our Discord forum, consider it. There'll be a link in the, the show notes. There'll be a link in the Facebook page. We'll put some in the Instagram. I think we've got Instagram now, and then I'll, I'll tweet it out if I have to. Um, and I also want to, at this point, I guess, uh, thank everybody for listening and we're not done, but I want to thank everybody who does listen. Um, and if you value what we do here, you know, consider sharing, sharing your love of this podcast with others 
And if you want to join our patrons, uh, we want to thank those guys for helping keep the lights on. If you want to uh, join the patron family, you can go to patreon.com at aviation or slash aviation RC noob. Um, so I think that brings us, there's been a lot of cool activity. There's some people who have been enervated by uh, their journey to and from flight fest like we've been. And they've definitely been getting excited about doing different things in the hobby. Um, well, speaking of folks yeah. that went to Flight Fest and had a good time, uh, why don't we why don't we take five, go get some water, and uh, while we're getting water, uh, I'll put on one or two folks that we spent yeah. some time with and hear what they have to say. Awesome. And then, Let's hear it. And then we can do the history segment when when we're back from water break. All right. See you in a moment. <laughs> All right. So I am sitting here with, um, this is Matt sitting here with Jason, Jason Kennedy. He goes by J Kennedy on the JL uh, Kennedy. J There's an L in there. JL Kennedy. That's right. <laughs> I don't know. I just know him as Jason. I got to know Jason when, uh, he submitted, was it you were participating in I think the builder you, you did a builderary yeah right and then you came up with like three really like lightweight designs that's kind of your specialty isn't it I, it seems to be at least that's where you're focused well, like under yeah, 250 grams yeah well I just don't want to deal with remote ID so I've okay. just been targeted that's just been become a target of everything because right. of that but you don't just like build a plane you build a plane that's kitted with like flight controller and a, or at least a camera and you like a to fly FPV. Is yes. there a reason for that? Uh, it's more fun. Okay. For me? I imagine with the smaller planes, it's just easier to actually do because you lose track of them quick. Well, there is, uh, yeah, it is probably easier to fly um, in a lot of regards. There is a little bit difference because yeah. um, you have to go from watching a plane from a point of view that you're used to figuring out where you're at from a point of view that you're not used to, mm -hmm. at least if you get very high off the ground, right? Yeah, especially. Uh, yeah, if you get high off the ground, it can get really disorientating um, because everything looks different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, wait a second, I don't live in bird's eye view. Right. Where am I? Where right. is the park? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. so cameras and stuff like that and it's pretty common just because that's what I enjoy more so yeah, nice so you come you've come to fest uh, flight fest for a long while no only no? three years three years okay I, I, I mean I don't I guess some people might consider that a long time but well, I don't depends on where you're from yeah I guess <laughs> you know you guys come come up from Florida that's like a 12 hour is that or 16 it's like Orlando area or something, right? No, Panhandle. Uh, okay. It's 14 and change, like just shy of 15. Okay. And yeah. that's that's assuming you drive at the speed Google thinks you're going to drive. Sure. So okay. not the speed limit. Right. Uh, at least the impression it's given me. <laughs> and it also assumes that you never stop okay. for gas, stretching your legs or anything. So we had a whole set of conversations, and I can't even remember what it is because there's been combats and stuff and volunteer work and all stuff in between we were talking about i thought making like little little like uh was it flat panel planes uh, what KF, were we talking about uh, the, uh, you're talking about that kf wing that i, I brought was. in here so i'm like oh that could be a new wonder <laughs> and you're like that's that's not what i was going to do but okay <laughs> well it is really close well yeah you're like why doesn't it have to do what wonder fins i'm like i wasn't even thinking about that right but then i happened to set down the like prototype right on 0.1 <laughs> on top of it 
And yeah, other than the 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 the, the pod where the electronics go, yeah. it did basically look like one. Yeah, so. definitely. So, and we're, we're sitting in the build tent in, uh, was it the west build tent, I think? Huh? What build tent is this, the west or the east? Uh, sunrised over there, so this is east? This is the east one, there you go. <laughs> You're really smart. <laughs> I'm so glad I talked to you. <laughs> oh my god, so we're in the east build tent and we are at flight test, it's day Saturday, which is almost like the last day, because most people leave on Sunday. Pretty Especially early. you and I, who've got 14, well, you know, eight I, to 14 hour drives. Because of my, I two day it, so mm -hmm. I've got it planned where I only have eight, six hours of driving yeah. to do tomorrow. Okay. So I mean, that'll end up being seven to eight hours all said and done with stops, and I'm assuming my drive home is gonna have more stops than my drive here, because I'm, sure. uh, I'm gonna be starting the drive with my body slightly aching. Yeah. Not get the first four hours before I start feeling like, oh, I need to move. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I remember like, oh, it's gonna be hard to get out of the car. <laughs> so how um, how did, so, let's see, what what brought you back to Flight Fest? Um, because you come here with your son at least. What when you came with like your whole family? The first time I came with my my whole family and Grandma fun, came yeah. to help out, and that was chaotic. And I left not sure if I wanted to come back because uh, I was worn out in all kinds of stuff. And then we also got rained out that event, so I hardly got to fly because I had I got all foamy, all paper foamies. Right. Yep. And I, I was like, the ground was wet like most of the time. Mm -hmm. So um, just like this, this has been better. This has not been that bad. Right. And and but the ground did, was never wet. But the wet air has been wet the whole time. It feels like. Yeah, not enough that I was too worried about anything. But you know, um, and keep going. Oh, and even showing up this, even this, you know, like this year. Uh, we didn't decide for sure if we wanted to come again until like around when they opened registration. Right. Same thing. I mean, it's it's a two-day trip. Right. It's a, big, it's a big event. Each way. It's, it's it's so it takes. I got to take a week of vacation. Right. Week of vacation. You're spending at least two hotel nights for sure. Right. It's it's yeah. just it's a long trip to make it. Yeah. So, um, cool. but like my son was like, yeah, I, I think one of the pushes for me is my son was gonna go. I'm gonna go even if you don't go, Dad. And so it was a little <laughs> bit of a push that I don't. That's he, cool. I, I have not let him drive through the big, do any of the driving. I mean, where I get my car. Yeah. And I don't know that he gets what driving through the big cities is gonna be like. It's especially when you've not driven through the city before, and you're relying on GPS and reading road signs. Right. right. And reading road signs, reading GPS, watching traffic all at the same time. I, I, not something I really want to see him do. No. I mean, so he's he's an adult now. If he chooses to do it, that's his choice. But you know. yeah, yeah. I mean, again, that's his right. choice. We all did a lot of silly things when we were well, younger. Well, that I am shocked. I'm looking back at it. I'm shocked my parents let me do it. Um, <laughs> right. I was still in high school because yeah. I know I had to take a day off from school to do this. Uh, Microsoft was doing on some. Free, I think it was free to go to conference thingy and like some of their new tool, new software they were letting out. Okay, yeah. Me and one of my friends, both <laughs> our parents let us take off. I drove down into Chicago. Yep. <laughs> and you're like, wow. And what I, was and, I, I and I don't, I, I'm sure I wasn't 18 yet. I, I don't think I was 18 yet. Drove into Chicago, 
And this was before, I mean, this was before GPS or anything else like oh, that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. this is roads, we were, this yeah, is, we had, written roads, down, yep. we had written down road signs. Yep. Or, yeah, road I don't think we had road GPS yet. Yeah, I don't think Most we had GPS. Most people had an atlas to, to be able to yeah, go. Yeah, no, we couldn't have had GPS because we were looking for road signs like like mad. <laughs> trying to figure out where we were yeah. and, yeah. So That's a good no, time. Yeah, yeah, no, no GPS. So, okay, so we're, we're here. What, what, did, what are the three things that, how did you prepare real, like, how did you prepare? What, did, what kind of things did you bring to fly? And then what were your favorite things? So how did you prepare? What did I prepare? Like, I mean, not like all the details, but kind of like, you know, did you prepare to build? Did you prepare to fly? Did you prepare to be a volunteer or was um, it a... Well, this year I really wanted, because this is my vacation, so I'm like, no, this is going to be my vacation. So I decided not to volunteer this year, so that wasn't in there. Um, I had my, found my checklist from last year. Oh, nice. So I pretty much followed my checklist from last year for packing. Good. <laughs> it worked out good? Pretty good, yes. Okay, nice. Yes. Um, I need to leave myself some notes for next year. Okay. But um, that was just uh, something I did new this year. I did tried a different sleeping arrangement. It worked okay. okay, but not as good as I wanted to. Okay, right. So I need to leave myself some notes about that for next year. Good idea. Um, I brought... The stuff, I brought all my planes that were flyable or potentially flyable if I did some repair work on them. And then like a little bit of repair or like a lot of repair? Uh, okay, sorry, none of them. The only ones I needed to repair were my sons. Mine were almost done being built. Okay. So, and then I don't think I touched a single one of those. Very good. Did you fly anything today? This break, this uh, the flight fest? This flight fest? Yeah. Uh, Opening morning, I got I burned a bunch of batteries on my FPV wing. That's right. Um, when I get home, I'll probably get the video clip up and put it somewhere and yep. drop it in Discord or whatever. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. Um, I flew the tenant that I managed to get to 250 grams mm -hmm. with battery and everything. Yep. Quite um, impressive. I, yeah, I guess. I was sad. I did, didn't do quite as good as I was hoping, but. Okay. Then again, from what Josh said, I think the expected flying weight was like 360. Yeah. So, so 250 like, is crazy. That's like 90 grams under the expected that's, flying that's weight. That is quite a bit. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> um, and what did I enjoy the most? I don't know, talking to people probably? Yeah. Catching up back with people you saw before. Oh, or meeting new people. It was weird how many people walked up and recognized me, and I felt sad a lot of times. I'm like, I don't remember you. And then they go, you helped me fix blah, 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 blah. And that's when I finally remembered like, sort oh, of what yeah, was. Oh, yeah, I remember the yeah. thing. Right, okay, hey. <laughs> I remember the thing I helped them fix, but not them. Oh, my God. <laughs> we have our focuses, right? Yeah. You know, nice. I, I, remembering... Well, and a lot of them was like, you're just like somebody needed help with something. And I just like, like I hear to do this. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. it was, to me, it was such a minor thing. But, but, to it, them, but it clearly was the, to them a whole lot because they right. remembered me over an entire year. Because that's one of the things that a lot of people here are have never flown before. Oh, he's making a four by uh, a quad 
thing. Yep, uh, VTOL quad. Yeah, v sorry. No, uh, the, but, but it's a quad plane. You're right, right, quad plane. So it's got nice. the quad on it and then the plane set up and nice. yeah. yeah. Sorry, I just no, got, okay. I got distracted by something well, out of line of sight. Welcome to Flight Fest. Squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, been, I've been working very hard to keep on task with the things that I What's came that? to do, which is very hard, which is the giant noob <laughs> and making sure that flies and not get too, you know, distracted but and trying to remember to put an SD card in your goggles next Which, time yeah maybe next time I'll do that so I, okay so on the prep there is one thing I actually did do before I left um, I updated my Express LRS equipment all the newer versions because so I'm gonna talk to you about that after we get all get home and rest for about a week <laughs> <laughs> uh, so because the ver my my transmitter was on a version three. A couple of my things were already up, so I needed to bring everything up to that yeah, level. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing it added was the the full PM, PWM, so my PWM right. uh, things would work better for me. Okay. So right. there was a couple of useful cases for it. So I did that and did a couple of things to prep for that. But other than that, uh, I had plans to do a little more before we left, but I just life was too busy and yep. it didn't happen. Yep. As is always. Right. So cool. What were the like top three things you enjoyed most about here? Like things you saw or things you did or things that just happened that, you know? I don't know. <laughs> um, were there comments that you enjoyed or were there like, I, I don't know, was there something in the build tent that you really enjoyed being part of? Some, uh, I know a lot of, there, there's a lot of parents. I was surprised about support parents is what I call them. Okay. You know, they're like, yeah, they're there I to know help what you out mean. their kids. I know what you mean. Yeah, but like, you know, you get to watch your son this year really kind of come into his own and do his own thing. I mean, he was kind of already doing it anyway, but... Watch? I've hardly seen him. <laughs> I know what you mean, though. But yeah, it was, it, I, I was really excited to see how much effort he put into just getting out and socializing and being helpful yeah. and... And he really, uh, and he really has been. It's been awesome. Yeah, he's so that was really excited to see him doing that. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I know that sometimes you come to Flight Fest for a highlight of like, oh, I'm looking forward to doing this again or meeting. Right. You know, like I get to meet people from the Chicago area, the Michigan area, right. and all that stuff who will come down to do this. Right. But I'll never be able to see them in a, any other way. Sure. Not not without actually having a reason to be out that yeah. way. Um, like Oshkosh, maybe. But right. It's. Yeah, it's a good excuse to meet everybody. Yeah, yeah I, well, I wouldn't really think about that. I mean, I knew there was a couple of people I was going to run into, like you, yep. that I wouldn't probably ever see otherwise. And some of the guys, other guys on our oh, sure. forum yep. that you've yep. talked to a ton but never right. really met. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh oh. No, you're, you're fine. I'm just uh, adjusting with the, the sun shifting. Okay. Uh, is there anything you want to tell people who are thinking about Flight Fest next year? Stop thinking about it and just sign up. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> I mean, I, that, that's that's the best I can say. I mean, you're not. Uh, I, I guess there's two things. You're not going to really experience it for what it is without showing up. It is so much different than the videos that anybody or anything that anybody right. can give it. Right. So it's, you can't. I don't think a video or a description ever puts into words what it is. Exactly. And highly consider volunteering. Um, I have volunteered. Um, uh, I did it last year, and it was actually really great doing it. 
Uh, and the only reason I did it this year is the very fact of this is my vacation and I wanted to focus on making sure I got a vacation from work yeah. and not anything else. Okay. And even with that, I at one point almost considered wandering over and seeing if they needed help. So, <laughs> and, and, uh, okay. And I, and right. I, 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 I could have been, I could have been a non-shirted volunteer with how many people I just randomly walked up and helped in uh, places. Right. I mean, that's part of being here. Right. Right. Like, yeah. Right. Exactly. So cool. yeah, it, it, the, the volunteering is great. The people are here. There's tons of great people, and um, I mean, I got to give a prop to Josh and the flight test crew. Yeah. They have put together a amazing culture in what they've set up, yeah. and then what they that has drawn to come. Yeah, so exactly. the people that come have been drawn based on the culture they've set up, which has created a, just a wonderful event. Great place to be. Yep. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Thanks a lot, Jason. You're welcome. I appreciate your time. Yep. I actually like this setup. A little, little long on the cables at times, but it's I wondered what the cords yeah, were for. That, they're my little mic, so if I find somebody that I want to chat with for a minute, I can just <laughs> slap them on. Well, I'm standing here with Margaret, who is lead for the shuttles. Yes. How did you get roped into that? Uh, I actually worked volunteer, regular volunteer last year and wasn't even scheduled for shuttle, but ended up on shuttle, and I loved it. So I ended up pretty much staying on shuttle the whole time I was here last week, last year. And I offered to Lee that I wouldn't mind doing it again this year, and I got chosen as a red shirt, so which is head for the shuttle crew. That's so. awesome. And you were telling me about your night rating that you got recently. You're enjoying that? Oh, yes. I love my night rating. It's absolutely beautiful. And I can't wait to fly it here uh, one oh, evening. Anybody was trying to talk to me, and I tried to use my microphone, and my radio went dead, blacked out. I didn't hear anything. <laughs> I don't know who he's talking to. I don't know. Doesn't matter. No. I guess. It doesn't matter. I don't think it was me. I don't think so. <laughs> Too many channels to listen to. Yeah, because you've got, they put the shuttles on channel three, and then mm -hmm. I guess main is on channel one. One, and then I have my personal. So okay. I have three different channels I'm trying to listen to. Yep, and then you got, what, three little girls that are out here with you? I have two. Two? I have a 15-year-old and a 10-year-old. Did I understand they were helping with breakfast? They were doing the they, pancakes? They're the pancakes. Scarlett, my oldest, has been coming since 2016. So she's grown up at Flight Fest. And she is Pancake Queen. And she wants a red shirt for pancakes so bad. <laughs> she tried to talk Lee and or Eddie into it, but no dice yet. Yeah. She's still working on it. I wish she had said 18 more. <laughs> yeah, because she is always insistent on having the pancakes for the volunteers in the morning. That is her thing. This year, she even emailed Eddie months before to make sure we were doing pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciated them yesterday. They gave me a few, though. They were good. They, they do they do a pretty good job. Yep, but it's her and my youngest, Callista, and uh, our friend, Sophia, and they're the pancake crew in the mornings, so. What have you enjoyed most so far, and what are you looking forward to? 
I enjoy the people. I enjoy the socialization. I enjoy talking to everybody that comes. And I enjoy seeing all the other people flying. I don't fly a lot myself, but I love watching everybody else. And I just look forward to making more friends. There you go. It's a good place for it. It is, it is. We actually have a family that we met from Oklahoma last year and like a couple weeks ago before we headed out i we follow each on each other on facebook still and i messaged the mom and i'm like hey are y'all coming to flight fest this year and she's like yes we are <laughs> and so we've already reconnected and it's been great awesome well thank you for your time oh you're welcome it was a pleasure Hi there, um, this is Matt Allen. We're Saturday night, uh, near the night flight. Friday, Friday night. I can't even tell what day it is. I'm with... Luke Shotwell. Luke Shotwell. Um, we met earlier today with his dad over at the Bloody Baron Build Tent, where I helped out Spawns in uh, that whole thing. But since that morning time, you've done a lot with this plane and other things. Tell us about your day. Well, first of all, my dad and I got some cheap lights that we could put on so we could fly it during the nighttime, and it's flown pretty well. I managed to, not even during combat, take down a plane on accident because they flew into me. I split them into three or four parts. And then I hit another plane on accident. <laughs> but the thing still flies really well even after all that. Right. Yeah, and so we just went out just now to do, we went and flew some night flying, and you wanted me to just double check that it was all going in the right direction and that it was okay. We went out there, and I've, you sure you haven't flown this before, like today? Yeah, the last time I flew was probably two or three years ago with a Apprentice plane. I'm, I think the last time I flew it was into a barn. Uh, I think I pushed the motor mount inside of the plane a little bit, and yeah. we never got the replacement in. Oh my god, yeah, that makes sense. So then you had a big gap, and now you're back here. So how long have you been back in the hobby since that time? Uh, probably one day. One day? <laughs> and you're flying this thing. You were doing loops and rolls and all sorts of stuff, and all he has is red and green lines of, of color on the top and the bottom of the plane. And that's all you're using to orient the whole deal. Yeah. Um, we thought we thought about getting another light strip, but we just decided on red and green. I didn't expect it to be so disorienting, because sometimes I'll be turning, and it, the colors will flip, and it yeah. looks like I'm like turned the opposite way. Right. So like I'll try and correct that. And it just right. So what is uh, is there any advice you give anybody to um, who wants to do night flying stuff? Well, get three sets of lights, red, green, and, and then a white or a blue pair that goes down the center on the top or the bottom. So then you know which side is the bottom or the top. Okay, excellent. I noticed you got a signature on the car. What else happened today? Yeah, I got a signature today from Josh, the main guy for the YouTube channel, and yep. from- Josh Bixler. What? Josh Bixler? Yeah. And uh, I got a signer on my tr other plane, the trainer one, by Peter Shreeple. Nice. Okay. And Peter Shreeple is at the front of this tent, currently building away at some 15-foot monstrosity, I'm sure. So that, that'll be interesting to see tomorrow. 
Um, that's so awesome. So you got to meet all those guys. What would you characterize um, flight test? When you go around here, now that you've been here and met some of the guys, how does that compare to the online presence? Because a lot uh, of people are like, are those guys really the way they are? And I'm like, I mean, they're they're really friendly. Like Josh, I just went up to him and say, hey, can you buddy box me? Because I wanna made in my airplane. Oh wait, so you had him buddy box you? Yeah. It wasn't just him signing your plane. Yeah. He flew with you. Yeah. He was like, oh sure, and then he ran off and grabbed his transmitter and he was like super helpful and all that. He's awesome. Oh, looks like we have a we have a piper down. Did you disconnect your battery? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, I want to make sure that you got that. Okay. Well good. This has been a lot of fun to do this with you, to share this with you. Even if all I was, I don't even know, just like, hey, can you check into this? Like, this was a lot of fun for me. I hope it was a lot of fun for you. Yeah, it was really fun. What are you looking forward, forward to tomorrow? Well, tomorrow I'm hoping to uh, fly my buddy, or Bloody Baron into combat. Hopefully in the morning because we have to leave. Yep. Uh, so Peter Streeple is flying, I hope. Hopefully I get he gets a, oh, a chance in the morning yeah. to see, yeah. Hopefully uh, he's not only there at night, or the later flyings, but. Excellent. I'm also hoping to, uh, I think we're, we need to fix my trainer plane and we're hopefully gonna start on a simple cub that my dad got. I was gonna ask you, what's your next plane? What's the next yeah. one you're gonna go for? It's simple cub, good choice. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking and uh, enjoying. Thanks for, thank thanks for doing this. All right, well, we're back. I uh, hope you, uh, you have your water ready, Joe. You're all set? Yeah. Yeah, good. I was uh, enjoying uh, listening to those guys while I got my water. I guess that brings us to our history segment. And this yeah. history segment is uh, way, I, I, started, I put this together when I had heard uh, that Ben's uh, family was had flown, not the C-47, at least they had started, I guess. And then they got relegated to flying the C-46, in World War II, the commando, and he was—he says this plane is an was an ugly pig. I think is what <laughs> some so because some awful set of names, and and he's not the only guy uh, to come up with an awful name for this plane. But <laughs> apparently, it was perfect for the role. So let's get into it and talk about the Courtesy Four Seven Commando. Um, the Curtis C Forty Six. Yep, Curtis. You, you called it the Courtesy. Curtis C. 47. Ah, I got you. Okay. So it was sort of the courtesy, but you know, anyway. I said Joyce's having out in you. <laughs> well, you know, I can't <laughs> help it. Guilty as charged. Um, yeah, so it's a twin engine. It looks honestly remarkably like the C47. Um, it's uh, very similar. Um, it was derived from the Curtis's CW20. Uh, it had pri pressurized high altitude airliner design. Uh, is kind of where it came from. So it makes sense that it looks very much like exactly where it came from. Uh, the early press reports used to call it, uh, use the name Condor 3, but um, it, uh, but the commando name was used in early 1942 in uh, the comp company publicity. And it was used in a as a military transport during World War II. And the United States Air Force is also used by the U.S. Navy Marine Corps. Uh, which called it the R5C. The C-47 deserved, uh, it served in a similar role to its Douglas-built counterpart. Um, 
the C-47 Skytrain, but it was not extensively produced uh, as the latter, so there weren't as many. After World War II, a few surplus C-47s were briefly used in their original role as a passenger airline, but the glut of surplus C-47s dominated the marketplace, and so the C-47 was soon relegated to cargo duty. Um, the, the type continued in the Air Force Service in a secondary role till 1968, uh, and the C-47 continues in operation as a rugged cargo transport for Arctic and remote locations with its service, uh, with the service extended into the 21st century. Um, the prototype was patented, uh, had a patented fuselage conventionally referred to as the figure eight or the double bubble. Cause, and that's what sets this thing apart from the other. Basically it's almost like if you put a little bit bigger fuselage on top of the fuselage. <laughs> so the bottom okay. kind of came around in a normal fuselage and then, well, you need a little bit extra headroom. So make another one of those, put it on top of that and wherever the seams you just sort of. You know, okay, now that I'm looking at the front view, I can see what you're talking about. Yeah, you kind of you have to look at a, bit, a little bit closer. You can look at a cross section. So it looks has a figure eight shaped cross section. Um, if a uh, really uh, wild example <laughs> is the the guppy. Oh um, well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, or basically an exaggerated version of this kind of concept, I guess. If you take the top and just make it crazy size. Um, anyway, so. You can look that up, but basically it enabled it to better withstand the pressure differential at high altitudes. The sides of the fuselage creased at the level of the floor that separated the two portions and the shared in the stress of each. So uh, rather than supporting itself. So rather than being a big hoop, uh, it actually had a center part that helped share the stress loads. Um, the C-47 was referred to by ATC pilots as the flying coffin, which is, of course, the thing you want to pilot, right? Um, Absolutely. <laughs> there's at least 31 known instances of fires or explosions. Uh, other names used by these men who flew them were called the whale or the Curtis calamity, uh, also called the plumber's nightmare. <laughs> so needless to say it had some issues. <laughs> um, the, but the C-47's huge cargo volume, which was twice that of the C-47, uh, and it, it could carry three times the weight, large cargo doors, powerful engines, and long range also made it suitable for the vast distances in the Pacific Island campaign. And that is primarily where it served in the Chinese, the, the China-Burmese-India operation zone. And that's kind of what we're alluding to a little bit with, with Ben when we were talking to him. He mentioned that uh, his, uh, like I said, I see his uncle, I think, um, I can't really remember. I'll have to go back and look, and then I'll correct it or something. I won't. Um, but anyway, he basically <laughs> said that he was stuck in the uh, Indian operation zone, and he would fly over the Himalayas. And so they would, they would. Uh, I can't remember what city they. He said they started out at, and they would basically hop over uh, the Himalayas into China um, and do the cargo runs there. And it was known for the ease with which it went over the Himalayan hump on cargo runs to India and to China. So, yeah, it was primarily used for that. And then obviously that was really important for supply runs and making sure that our troops had what they needed in that, uh, that um, theater. Uh, in Europe, it served as a paratrooper transport, and it was not received well and banned from the U.S. AFF or AAF operations uh, by German, by Armand General. Oh, my God, let me start over. <laughs> oh, my God. It served as a paratroop. <laughs> 
paratrooper transport in the European theater. It was not received well and was banned from the USAAF operations by Army General Matthew Ridgway. After the losses uh, the C-47 suffered, there were 19 of 72 um, during the Operation Varsity. These losses were in line with all the other aircraft in the operation, and the craft the and the craft was unarmed, flying low and slow in the daylight with no self-sealing fuel tanks. So, I mean, it really wasn't fair. But needless to say, uh, apparently this general said, "Ain't gonna happen anymore. <laughs> We're out. I hate this aircraft. Get it out of my uh, get it get out of this, uh, get it out of my um, air force here, please." So. <laughs> uh, needless to say, you're getting a picture that this is not a well-loved airplane. <laughs> uh, post-war, uh, C-47s were uh, seemed destined to be uh, for a useful career as post-war civilian passenger airlines and was considered for that by the Eastern Airlines. However, the high operation costs of the C-47, that was up to 50% more than the C-47, its little sister aircraft, which ended up being, I think, was the DC-3s with the C-47 its um, commercial counterpart or its civilian counterpart became, um, soon caused more operators to change their minds, um, and most post-war C-47 operators were limited to commercial cargo transport and then only for certain routes, obviously ones that needed that uh, high-altitude uh, good times. Let's see. It became a common site in South America and was widely used in Bolivia, Peru, Brazil, and Argentina, and Chile. It's pretty much all the places, um, especially in the mountain regions where there has a good climb rate and a high service ceiling. Uh, those were required uh, to overfly deep jungle terrain. Well, good transports were impractical. So uh, at that point, I mean, it's kind of the the gist of the plane. It's uh, kind of ugly. Uh, nobody really liked it. It was uh, clearly fraught with some issues. Um, clearly there's also somebody in the European theater that said, absolutely not get this out of here now. Um, but it was incredibly useful as a transport. So it stuck around for a long while. It's actually a pretty cool looking plane. I really, I really enjoy looking at it. I think it's, it's unique. It's got something that says, this isn't what you're expecting. Right. Um, so I'm curious to see, I almost want to build one to go alongside the C 47 and just see uh, no pun there. Um, just kind of see the difference in how they flew. Uh, let me go through the characteristics and then we'll, pat, we'll move along to our next thing here. Um, it had a crew of four or five. It had a capacity of 40 troops um, or 30 stretcher parent, uh, patients or 15,000 pounds of cargo. Uh, it was 60, uh, sorry, 76 feet, four inches long which is a little over 20, 23 meters. The wingspan was 108 feet, which is uh, about 33 meters. Its height at, above, the, uh, above the ground was 21 foot 9 inches, which is a little over 6.5 meters. The wing area was uh, 1,360 square feet. It's 126 square meters. Um, let's see, if you really want, it had uh, different airfoils at the root and the tip. The root was uh, NACA... 23017 and the tip was 4410.5 so uh definitely had a kind of a rotation if you can you can even see it kind of some of the pictures if you look um there's definitely a forward rotation there at the tips 
The empty weight was 30,669 pounds. Its gross weight was 45,000 pounds. The power plants were two Pratt & Whitney R2800-51 double WASP 18-cylinder air-cooled radial piston engines. Radial piston engines. 2,000 horsepower each. This is quite a lot of Ooh. horsepower. Um, the propellers had used a four-blade Curtis Electric constant speed propellers. It traveled a maximum speed of 270 miles an hour uh, or 230 knots at 15,000 feet. The cruise speed was 173 miles an hour. Um, the range was 3,150 miles at 173 miles an hour or 1,000 miles at uh, 237 miles an hour. Uh, let's see. Its service ceiling was 24,500 feet. And its time to altitude of 10,000 feet was 17 minutes, 24 seconds. It's not the greatest climb speed. Uh, not the greatest, but apparently better than uh, a number of its competitors at the time. I'm suspecting because that's why they used it uh, in the Hemingway anytime they had to kind of hump over the mountains real quick. This mm -hmm. had better performance. And maybe it just had a stronger climb or just had better better handling but clearly um you know as far as a combat plane it, it's clearly not set up to be a good one um you know when, when you you know listing all the things that made it really not fair to say it's an awful plane i don't want it in my theater um you know it really didn't stand much of a chance compared to a lot of other other planes with it that were also just as equally in trouble right mm-hmm so, Interesting. I, I just, it, it's an interesting little plane. I didn't even know about it. I really had no idea it existed. Um, I suppose I kind of suspected it's there. If there's a C-47, there's probably a C-46 somewhere in there. Not always the case. Um, but well, it's a pretty neat least, plane. At least in, uh, at least in design theory. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah, they, they would classify those things like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty neat little plane. And again, I, I thank Ben for uh, inspiring me to look this plane up and get some information on it. I was kind of curious as to why, 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 why Israel did not like this plane. He very much enjoyed flying the C-47, but was relegated to having to fly the C-46. And he, I think he called it the, uh, called some sort of pig, um, air pig or something like that. He, he must not have liked it, so... Um, you know, I, I guess nobody really gets excited about cargo duty. Maybe that's it. But uh, it is what it is. That's our history segment for today. Um, if you guys have any ideas about history segments, um, please uh, send in your thoughts about what you'd like us to cover next. Um, if you have a history segment you'd like to write up and and either join us on the show like uh, Mr. Uh, Rara SVT or Brian did, um, you're welcome to do that. Brian, you're welcome to... Uh, put another one together. You did a great job last time, I know. Um, so anyway, just want to make sure that everybody's aware that we still are doing history segments. We put them in when we can. But I guess that brings us around to our main segment. Good job. Thank you very much, sir. You're welcome. Uh, we'll see if we can't. Here real quick. Yeah, we'll see if we can't uh, put some of these pictures if uh, with some of the show notes or uh, at least add it to our website part. All right, let's see uh, 
Let's see how well I can pull this off. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. Now that I've actually gone through some of the materials, I'll have to, in preparation for next episode, see if there's enough uh, material that doesn't get covered here. Because, I don't know. We're going to be talking about servos, but when I first put this together, it was generating an outline. Um, uh, I'll be honest. I've, I've been trying out a lot of things with ChatGPT. Oh. Um, and so I said, hey, ChatGPT. Let GPT, the AI takeover begin. Yeah, I was like, ChatGPT, <laughs> why don't you generate me a, uh, a list of topics to talk about? And it did. And then I took all those each... At each bullet of that and fed it back in for further breakdown and i wound gotcha. up with like 34 pages of notes and materials and stuff um but then as i started looking through i was like well not all this really needs to be discussed or talked about or gone over so i've got a uh couple got like two different documents i've been working on to talk about servos so we'll see how much of it we get through all right um yeah why don't you get started let's let's start with some of the basics i guess right like you know what what is a servo um are we going too basic there no <laughs> i mean we we can because some of that statement then will have you understand of what it like all right yes a servo is something to uh actuate on some level um, is defined as a small, uh, small device that incorporates, um, a multi-wire system capable of precise control of angular or linear position, uh, usually through a pulse width modulation signal or PWM. Um, we'll get into the parts in a minute. I was trying to look up a history of servos. Uh, one, one history presented, uh, talked about the 1940s, uh, Harold Cohen and Frank Stasek, uh, attributing them with inventing the first analog servo. Um, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't find any sources on that. And I've seen a couple other names thrown around, um, but just know that servos do kind of go back to that period and servos are maybe i'll do some digging for next episode sort of like the history of servos and how they came about because servos are not they're they're just part of a evolute like a a design chain so there were previous iterations that did things that servos kind of did well, I, um, I knew, I know, yeah, and it would be really curious to kind of see what they evolved from, but I know some of the early stuff, and we're talking, you know, pre-1970s, um, they were basically almost like a clock, uh, a wine, clock wind mechanism that was a series of catchments. So you would wind up the spring, and that would be as much servo as you could use on your trip. <laughs> and you would basically press a button that would just basically release a catchment. That's all it would do. And that catchment would rotate and it would, it, it rotate between the different positions you would set for whatever that control surface was. So it was, if it was a rudder, it was left, right, center. <laughs> and that was, that was what you did. 
and you hit the button once and it went to the left and hit it again and went to the right and hit it again and it would center. And you hmm. had to count how many times you did the thing because it would move the catch. It was really important that uh, – and, and it was basically – most of it was like a free flight model with a little bit of control. Right. Um, um, but I don't know if that's where it started or that was just part of the evolution. Um, but I, I find that really fascinating and I would, yeah, uh, definitely an escapement. I, I think, yeah, I, I would, I definitely want to like, it would be really interesting to build almost like a free, free flight model with an escapement setup and just see how, how hard that is, you know, cause I can't, I can't even imagine how difficult that's got. I imagine it's basically like a, you do the rubber band launch where you tow, you tow it up into the air or whatever it is just enough. And then you're, you're looking around for a thermal and you're using this rudimentary system to basically control left and right. Yeah. And, and I think we talked about some of that stuff way back. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can't dig up a better history yeah. of servos. Um, yeah, if you don't, we w- uh, I will. Okay, and we'll have it um, in our back pocket at least. Regardless, you know this sort of the time frame that servos, as we kind of understand them, were coming about. Um, it the earliest ones, you know, still as today, uh, incorporated a feedback mechanism for uh, making note of and. Uh, reacting to the position of the servo relative to where you wanted it. Um, And we'll talk about that a little bit when we get into the parts. Um, They were coming about due to uh, industrial automation and control systems. Um, Let's see. Uh, that's that's about all that I've really got in the history segment. Like, there's a couple paragraphs here, but it's not doing a whole lot for you. Through the 50s and 60s, um, the development of transistors uh, allowed for them to get smaller. Uh, and then once you got into the 90s, uh, 1990s, you started getting into uh, the digital servos. Um, and then, you know, as we approach today, we're getting uh like brushless motor servos mm-hmm. um, so, high power high torque yeah small lightweight let's talk a bit about the parts of a uh servo so i'm like all the servos that i'm really going to be able to talk uh semi knowledgeably semi knowledgeably about are going to be the nine grams that we use uh okay. though the principles apply you know, across all the range of sizes, uh, you'll have a motor, a gearbox, a control circuit, a potentiometer, uh, the output shaft. Um, you've got your control signal input, your power supply connection, and then it's mounting. It's mounting and housing. Your motor, um, and and this is well. I'll get to that in a second. Your motor up even into these nine grams that we're using um the metal gears that we're using are brushed motors um and i know Mm -hmm. that because i have broken this one open to have a look at some of the guts 
and it's got a nice little commutator in there, and I can see the brushes sitting right there. <laughs> I was um, going to ask you, like, is it have two wires or three? Uh, well, it's actually if you look in there, mm -hmm. uh, see see those two little diagonal bits. I got gotcha. you. I know my camera doesn't do a very good job. Th it, those are actually the brushes, so they're like little little uh, fork tines sticking yeah. out. Yep, and they're and they're running on the commutator. So, um, you got the commentator at the base of the motor that's then, so, you know, like we, we talked about way back and I guess we can talk about it again sometime when we do a motor episode. Episode number five, our most famous one. Uh -huh, yeah, I don't Our know. motor episode. Everybody's like, why are you talking about brushed motors? Nobody uses the brushed motors. Well, here they are. <laughs> We're using them. We use them every day in the servos. Absolutely mm -hmm. every day. And if we don't do it, then, you know, obviously we have these easy packs. The easy packs run on brushed motors too. And yep. some of the smaller airplanes, if you want lightweight, that's really the way you're going to do it. So anyway, helpful to know how they work. So you've got a brush motor uh, that's running off DC. Now they have AC uh, servos, but we're talking specifically DC. Yep. Um, DC current and with a brush motor, there's no uh, speed control outside of voltage. Right. Um, there's it's a volts or amps i guess amps would be the pa the torquing power and voltage would be the speed that's we'll have to revisit motor sometime uh we um, will uh yes we will but regardless to, and we will certainly <laughs> these these little these little brush motors and brush motors in general um especially at this size they they run these little ones will spin on up and run considerably faster than what they, they'll run, but the the power output that they have is very low. And that's where your gearbox is going to come into the equation. So if you look at the top or through to the side mm -hmm. of your, gear, your servo, you'll see a number of gears, and they're basically step down. So they're taking the mm -hmm. fast rotation of your uh, DC motor, and stepping down the speed, but also through the gear reduction, when you're walking that speed down, you're also cranking up your torque power. You're, you're looking at like 17,000 kV. So you're looking at like crazy fast. Uh, I also confirmed... That's how the fast these things are running? Yeah, on about 13 to 17,000, depending on the motor. Um, crazy, crazy fast one. You can get them different speeds, but basically they're on that order of fast. And then of course, multiply it by 3.7 or, or four volts. And now you've got like 60,000 RPMs, right? You, that's, it's really fast. So you kind of need, especially if you're trying to spin a propeller and not over spin it. Um, you're going to need some sort of gear reduction and same mm. with the servo. I mean, you're looking at you you want to do what 90 degrees in you know a portion like tenth of a second that's still you need to reduce that that speed from the motor considerably oh yeah um, anyway oh also a uh, dc motor is controlled by the uh, speed is directly proportional to the input voltage okay so it is voltage amps yep. would then be the uh i guess an aspect of its torque right so. yeah all Go right ahead. um which explains why um, the you'll pop a circuit breaker. I, I think back to table saw days when I was helping my dad build oh, yeah. furniture and such. Uh, we could run the table saw and it was fine, but when it would bind up 
you mm-hmm. know, not in the wood, that's when the breaker would go. Oh, yeah. Because it was pulling all those amps. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so your gearbox is going to step it down um, from a high-speed, low-torque to a lower-speed, high-torque situation. And, as we'll see in a minute, uh, give you a better resolution, um, better ability to read the position of your servo arm. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you have a control circuit. Now, when I got into the control circuit, that's what was interesting with the idea that analog servos went back to the 40s, um, yeah. the earliest versions of them, because, of course, the integrated circuits didn't come out until much later. So that's part of the reason for the curiosity of, hmm. Yeah, how was like that to, controlled? Yeah, how was back? that controlled? Now, they still, because they were analog, and we'll talk about the pots here in a second, but because they were analog, they, they did have pots uh, well, that were... Explain what a, a pot, you mean uh, potentiometer, correct? Potentiometer. Okay. Um, just want to make sure that we're using the, identifying the terms, because this, this may be the first term, first time somebody's heard those terms. No, that's fine. And, and we're going to be talking about the potentiometers in a minute. Right. Um, so, especially for today's servos your control circuit is going to take power and signal in our case from the receiver and use that to power and uh, to power the dc motor and to control the position of the servo mm-hmm. um, and depending on which direction the motor needs to run it's going to flip or flop the uh, voltage going to either positive or negative voltage going to your motor to control the direction that it's spinning. So you can flip the poles to say, I want the motor to go the other way yep. to drive the motor the other direction. Right. Okay. That's it. Now for the pot, the potentiometer, potentiometer. Um, so what, what is that? Uh, yeah. What, what role does that play? And, in, in a potentiometer is, uh, I want to say it's strictly an analog system, uh, but generally it's an analog device. And it, as I understand, strictly reads uh, the voltage that can run across its pins. So it'll have a mm-hmm. uh, it'll have a power, a ground, and then I guess a reference, or a power neutral, and then a reference. It's reading a voltage coming off of the potentiometer based on the position of the potentiometer. So you can either, potentiometers can be used to either read a voltage level or to set a voltage level. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and in the case of your servo, as your, the potentiometer is attached to the, uh, servo shaft. This is going to go out and drive your servo arm. So as that shaft rotates and turns, that is changing the the position. That that is changing the voltage uh, reading of that potentiometer. And I say it's. I was going to say it's changing the p- uh, position because it being an analog device, it's a physical connection, and the way that they thin out the metal and reduce the surface area of the metal 
uh, from, say, the positive to then come in contact with the negative side. How it handles that, it reduces, it, it controls how much voltage can pass through. Okay. I don't fully understand it. I'd have to look up a sci- uh, deeper science on potentiometers. Maybe that'll be part of next week as I'm realizing things that I need to study more. <laughs> Mental um, note. As as that potentiometer moves, it changes the voltage value. That then gives the control circuit a idea of where the servo, what, what position the servo is in, and then it can make corrections to say, okay, you're over here, I need you to go this way. And yep. it's not a, I need you to go this way this far, it's a, I need you to go this way at little full bit, speed and then a little bit more a little bit more okay, yeah, stop. a little bit more a little bit more and then when when it reaches the proper value yeah. all right cut current motor stops um and if anything yeah i've noticed i guess it's constantly reading because when the, the servo is powered up you go try to go crank on that horn there's all like it's not going to move it's got that resistance but then when you unpower the servo then it can turn not super easily but you can get a servo to move so it's either and and i don't see any sort of like an electronic break in here so it must just be that when you're trying to move it it's sensing that the the potentiometer is giving a different reading and so it's providing current going back in the other direction right Right, fighting it's going back to the value you told it to get it's basically Mm -hmm. you're saying hey it, you give a digital range between the thousand and two thousand, and say, "Hey, I want thirteen hundred. and then the it it reads that digital signal and says, "Okay, then that means the potentiometer voltage should be blank." Yeah, and then it, it says, "It's not it that I need to go this way or this way until mm-hmm. I get it." And then if for some reason the arm torques, it goes back to whatever it is. It does everything it can to get back to that voltage. And as long mm-hmm. as it's there, it's happy. It kind of just stays still. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, it's it's pretty, it's so simple and so effective. It's just, I mean, it's not, but it's like, I, I'm when I looked at it, I'm like, oh, this is what it is. Oh, this makes, this is so easy. This makes sense. No wonder. Okay, I get it now. <laughs> yeah. Like, this makes, we can do things with this, like. If you ever wonder, they make those 164th, uh, Amy and I were watching the other, 164th scale, like where they turn matchbox cars into RC cars. They they do it by basically pulling apart your servos and using the motor and the servos to drive the, the car and and the potentiometer to do the steering and stuff. Like they, they pull apart that circuit and use it. It's It's mm-hmm. pretty cool. <clears throat> yes. And yeah, then, it's just really cool all around. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, if we talk about digital servos a bit, so again, we've been talking about analog servos. If we talk digital servos, uh, one of the things that can change is instead of a analog potentiometer, um, it will make use of encoders to determine mm-hmm. the position of the um, servo shaft and it can make use of either what is it uh relative or absolute encoders okay so the, the relative encoder just simply says uh here's the 
here's position from basically when I start reading, which is when it fires up. It's just a ser- essentially a series of slits that okay. it, you know it can count as they go by, and it's got a method of counting those versus a absolute encoder that would have a way for it to say here's the position of this particular part of the encoder and then it doesn't matter powers loss or anything like it always knows exactly where it's at okay um so yeah um power supply we're using them at five volts um the they can go to 7.5 volts. They can go way higher than that. Um, I just say 7.5 because that's the typical volt, uh, typical voltages for the the hobby. Uh, even though we don't make use of those, the 7.5 voltage. Um, right, but in in some of the larger planes, uh, they they power. I think their receiver um, with basically a two volt. Uh, two two cell lithium, mm-hmm. and then they kind of do a small regulator, and they but they the faster the higher the voltage that gets put into that bus bar, and out to the servos, the quicker the response and the more torque you're going to get from your motors on the servos. Well, that's true too. <clears throat> um, and, and if then, you look at the servo tech output sheet, it basically says that at five volts it does this much torque, but at six volts it's more, and speeds mm. increase too, so it responds quicker. Just there's more. Remember the the volt the speed of the motor is controlled by the voltage. So if you have more volts, it goes faster. Yeah, and we'll talk about speed and torque because um, I got some notes on that here in a minute. Okay. Uh, Lee makes a good point. Digital servos also have a higher resolution. Okay. Uh, yeah. Positional and, resolution compared to, and also apparently digital servos are known for chattering. Uh, yeah. Um, well, because the analog kind of gets to the spot and stops. Where digital is always like looking for that feedback loop of, all right, am I there? Okay, wait, 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 a little bit back, okay, a little forward, a little bit back. Okay, we're almost there. And it just constantly goes back and forth checking. So it's always working. Well, the other side of that is digital it's servos. So, digital servos um, operate at a higher frequency. Yeah. So that's... Quicker response At least, time. At least what I was reading, that's where that, some of that chatter sound... Is okay. coming from is that you're you're hearing the difference in the frequency that's operating at, um, and then mounting and housing, um, I mean we're we're talking plastic casing for our housing. There are gen- general sizes for your uh, servos. I think we use do we use standard? Well, we're using the nine gram format. Um, so you'll have, say, well, well we're using this 9 gram. You'll have your micros. I know the Balsa guys have some s- standard sizes that they're using. So there are, there are set, I guess, categorical sizes or um, size right, categories that the, they'll fall within. And you have certain expectations of servos within that category. Sure, uh, yeah. To an extent, but then you can buy, I, I would assume, with other ca- with larger servos we don't really get them so much in these nine grams but with larger servos you can get uh servos that run faster higher torque things mm-hmm. like that yep yeah i mean yeah you can definitely they there's a servo for every niche mm-hmm. um for sure and remember we were using uh rc car servos for our giant new wonder because right. they're they're 
they're slower. They don't move as fast, but they are, um, but they have high torque, and that's what we needed. I wanted to make sure that the surfaces. But remember, the whole point of in, in an airplane, the whole point of a servo, for the most part, is to shift a control surface. And so that control surface is resisting, very specifically, the wind coming across the plane that's hitting the surface at whatever angle that that's deflecting at, right? Mm-hmm. And then so whatever that area is times the speed, which has a force per per square foot kind of deal. And then at that angle, that creates a, a force against the rotation of the surface. And so you, and your servo is resisting. So then you do the uh, the mechanical moment formulas of, you know, the overall force is acting at this distance, which is the centroid of the, the control surface to the hinge. And then, of course, your control horn is acting at a different so now you've, you transfer that force to whatever it is transferred down the control line that goes to the servo arm. So then you convert that, whatever that force is into the new force on the servo. And that's what it has to resist. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a couple formulas you can do to kind of figure out exactly what forces has to be resisted by that motor. And now I can't, that's why I... you size the motor that the bigger, the surface, the bigger, the plane, the, the the more force that servo yeah, the, will the see your servo <laughs> right and what you don't want it to do is basically stall out where there's more force on that than the servo can produce and then it basically can't go anywhere it's like oh i, I can't i can't pull it anymore and so like unless that. you ease up and we've experienced it whenever you go yeah, into you've the experienced dive, that a couple times like, yeah more times than i want um but when you have a larger plane and you're going into a dive and you can't you're going too fast you pull out you you have more airspeed across that surface than you expect or than that plane was designed to handle. And all of a sudden now you've got more force on a control surface and the, the, the servo isn't, you know, rated for that. So it, it stalls out. It basically, it can't move anymore. And so now you have an ineffectual surface. So until mm-hmm. you can slow down, you're out. So you need to figure out, then you basically need to rethink, those moment arm calculation formulas, you know, you need to figure out like, Hey, well, maybe I should, you know, make the control surface smaller. So that means it has less force and less interaction or control arm needs to be taller or the, you know, the, the arm on the servo needs to be shorter or whatever it is. So that way that moment formula works out to the, to where the servo can handle it. And uh, I'm going to, pin that one to the board for just a moment we are coming back to that mm-hmm. um there's just a couple things here i want to go yeah uh, keep at through. it you're going up about the internals of the servo so yeah well we're, we're stepping out of that a bit because i'm talking about the sizes um i want to talk about a different type of servo or some different types you'll have your high speed servos your high high torque servos mm-hmm. uh there's also continuous rotation servos right that instead of moving, uh, like in our, ours are supposedly like 180 degree servos. We don't really or, get or 90. 100. Some well, of them, some of them are 90. You, you have to right, look. but what we're using would I guess generally be 180 degree servos, even though we don't really get 180 degrees out of them. Not quite. always. Yeah. Usually, um, it's uh, we basically operate in about 90 degrees. Once you get past that. 45 degrees you're really losing effectiveness right 
yeah, that, that's a matter of angles and geometry and math and stuff. Mm-hmm. Once you get past the 45 degree, your movement isn't actually moving much. Yeah. So your 45 degrees gives you what? 75% of your movement. Right. And, and so that, that extra, the other 45 degrees is getting you almost nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's not doing a whole lot. And then, and that's just and then you that, also have that arm starts to wrap around. So yeah. Your, then it starts going the wrong lateral way. Lateral movement. <laughs> yeah. You it, know, it goes away. Yeah. And potentially a problem. So, uh, yeah, it's usually most of the servos that I've seen are 90 degrees. Sometimes I've seen it 120 when you need really long movements. And again, it depends on what you want, right? If you're operating um, a lock on a door, like a bomb bay door or something like that, maybe you want the 120 or the 180, mm-hmm. right? But but what for control surfaces, we tend to need about 90 degrees or whatever. So are you... No, ours aren't 90 degrees. Ours do more than 90 degrees. A lot of them are. Okay. Not always, but, right. but they are. Anyway, just, you know, you look around, you'll see that, you know, they're ultimately um, the ones you're going to pick up are probably the ones you want. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, continuous rotation servos uh, instead of the, I guess instead of the uh, encoders giving you information back on its positions giving you information back on its speed um and direction your pwm signal uh is not giving it a positional signal it's not being interpreted that way and with continuous uh movement servers or continuous rotation your pwm signal uh will be interpreted as speed and direction not position um yeah, now taking the pin back down, we're going to talk about some of this torque stuff. All right. Um, now you you're already talking about there's different different formulas for different parts of the chain that then need to be compared for uh, making sure that the servo can do the work. I can't speak to the control surface side of things. I can speak about the servo because that's the notes that I took. So. Okay, before we talk about torque, most people may not know what a, what torque is. Do you, can you tell? Uh, can you explain what torque is? Uh, in the in in what I have here, but go ahead and explain torque, and then I'll give the definition that I have here. Okay, uh, what I understand it to be is basically a force over distance. <clears throat> yeah so, pretty much right and then so basically it's um which is why you got to measure like the distance out from whatever like that's how much you know so you have uh i think it's what it was a kilogram inches or or pound pound inches or whatever it is you're close but go ahead um pound pounds of four anyway so you take that like okay well let's say i have one pound um, it, this, this server produces one pound at one inch. If I have two inches, it will produce half as much force at the end of that, you know, that arm. Mm-hmm. It'll be able to, cause that those are equivalent, right? <clears throat> right. So you're, you're actually, force. yeah, you're actually diving right into this information. So well, when, yeah, why don't you take it from here? But I, I no, wanted to good, make sure that it's clear. 
Because I didn't when I was younger, I didn't know what the heck torque was. Yeah, I remember I just actually think I had a professor. Like rota- rotational power. Exactly, it's rotational Which it power, is, it's, and it's measured like, of a force over a, a distance away from the the rotation point. Right. So the when we're talking about the servos, um, at least the notes I have in front of me, we'll say uh, torque on servos typically measured in ounce dash inches. Ounce, oh, ounce, ounce inches, inches right. which is one sixteenth. Kil- an ounce is one sixteenth of a pound of force, right? Or kilogram centimeters. <clears throat> okay. Oh yeah. And what both of those are saying is, your measure, your stating. If you have a one ounce centi- uh one ounce inch, you're saying that at one inch out from the servo center, it's applying one ounce. A force. That's the force it can put at that one inch mark. And if you're saying uh, one kilogram centimeter, you're saying you can the servo exerts one kilogram of force at one centimeter out from the center of the servo. Going to the ounce inch because we're what imperial instead of metric because you know amazing Americans. with the ounce inch, let's say you got a 10 ounce inch. So at one inch out from the servo center, you've got 10 ounces of force that it's applying. And that's mm-hmm. your torque rating. And what you were saying, yes, if you double the distance from the servo center, so instead of one inch, you go to two inches out, you're all, instead of 10 ounces, you're only get five ounces. And that's that. What uh, moment of angle or it, yeah, it's an angular. But it's, yep. That, okay, that that's <clears throat> levers and such. Yep, it's it's um, straight levers and basically the whatever you have, they they have to equal basically. So mm-hmm. you set up a quick equation: the force at the distance that you know times the new distance, uh, you know, equals the the new distance times whatever. Uh, force is going to be produced, right? And then you just figure out that formula really quick, and it's, and then you can figure, you can determine what it's going to do. You can predict what your system will be able to handle, and then you can then use that information to predict. Uh, you know, you can actually say, hey, if my plane's going 120 miles an hour, it produces, you know, basically we'll see 10 pounds a square foot if my control surface is. You know, one square foot. Well, it, my thing better be able to handle ten pounds 10 of force pounds. when it, right yeah. at, at the center pressure at the center of that control surface. So then you can back out all that distance. You know how if your, your control surface is two inches wide, that means it's ten pounds at one inch. You know, or, or you know whatever it is, and then you back that out to the servo, and then you can figure out what size servo you need. You also probably want to add a little bit of um, buffer room. Because if you do get into a dive and it does go faster than you expected, you still want to be able to, you know, move that surface anyway. Right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah. So if you don't need all the power, and this is where we use different holes on the servo. Uh, I don't do a whole lot of thinking about the power output of the servo versus the pressure I'm going to be putting on it. Because mm-hmm. I'm not stressing, like I'm not pushing the limits of the servo. But if you don't, if you don't need all of the juice that the servo has to offer, and you want more 
don't want to say resolution. If you want more movement, uh, then you can step that. You can step out to a further hole from the center of the servo. That's going to re- uh, translate into more movement, but less, <clears throat> but less power. Okay. Uh, on that surface, whereas if you need more power out of the servo, you can step it in closer to right. the servo and you're going to amplify the power coming out of the servo, but you're not going to have as much uh, lateral movement because mm-hmm. you're closer to closer to the servo <clears throat> point. And there, we're are, talking- there are some really good, there's some people who put together some really good videos on, you know, the, the hole you put on the servo versus the hole on the control horn and what that does to the movement of the control surface. There's, uh, I'll see if I can find one right now and uh, link it. Go for it. So something else to know about that in the same way that if you move it, move, so if you're at an inch and you move out an additional inch, you're cutting your power in half. If you're at an inch and you come to the half inch mark, you're doubling your power. So it's it's all multiply, mul- I want to say multiplicative, mul- multiplicative, because I can't say it. But it's also inverse. So okay. <laughs> as you reduce your distance, you're increasing your power. Yep. Um, so I don't want to say it's exponential, but I think the note I had said it was linear, but I don't think yep. it's quite. Yep, it, it, it's it's a linear. Is it linear? Yep. I'm going to have to plot that. Um, Half doubles. You you one, go do that. One. Yeah. I. Mm, anyway. All right. Uh, and then speed. Speed is uh, is reference how quickly you can move from one position to another. It's measured in uh, seconds per sixty degrees or degrees per seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, how how many... fast is your server going to respond? Right. Yeah. Uh, which, in the case of what we're looking at, because we're not continuous rotation, we're probably going to be looking at degrees per second. Um, in which case, it's still way more. Because I'm going to take one second for it to go from one extreme to the other. Um, they'll give you an idea how fast it's moving. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, do we. Uh, how much more do we want to go about the internals? We might want to stop at the end of kind of some of the parameters and the internals of the servo. I think I sort of reached the end of one of my uh, sets here. And I, I kind of feel like that's probably a good stopping point yeah. for for this part. Because that sort of talks about the, the guts of it, how, the, how it works, um, and some... Uh, ratings that you can look at them at uh, look at and then from there i know we want to look into some of the things we talked about of like want to find out more about that and then i'll see if there's any additional stuff worth uh adding to the next episode and then we can maybe continue on with another part or abandon the deep the deeper dive concept altogether we'll see <laughs> uh, we'll, give we'll us see. your thoughts uh, yeah, this is a nice revisit of servos anyway uh, yeah we definitely needed to revisit it for sure um, it's a good way to I, I think we did good at, at getting started 
Um, there's a there's a lot of little interesting pieces. Um, what what I like is there's there's two things that kind of come to mind. If you look at one of uh, again, I've been watching a lot of flight test stuff since like the beginning. Um, Andres made a little RC servo car. And if you look at what he does there, and same with um, Peter Shreepel also did something similar, where he kind of pulled apart the servo and discussed kind of what the parts were and what they meant, and then kind of then did stuff with them, right? I think it was when he did the 360-degree camera, he pulled apart the servo and showed, like, he undid... Uh, either undid the the potentiometer or reused stuff. So it was. So if you look at those two videos, they really kind of go into. If you want to see the guts without pulling one of your servos apart, uh, they kind of discuss what they do and how they work, and then how you can use them to repurpose. You know, there's an easy, a relatively easy way. There's like a little pin um, that creates like a hard stop on some servos. So, like, you can't go past that 60 degrees, like, because it physically can't go past it, right? And that's another way to basically stall the servo out. It's like, well, you can't go any further. Sorry. You know? It also, mm -hmm. the potentiometer also says, that's the end of what I want anyway. So, it's not going to actually over, over, uh, pull, pull too much amps through the thing, trying to get to the next spot, right? But if you remove that little nub, you got a 360 degree servo. It'll just keep going. It was pretty cool. So hmm. that's a way to get like a little wheel. Like if you want a motor that spins the wheel at a certain speed, like you can you can modify these things. They're they're kind of fun to play with. So um yeah, I'm gonna see if I can find uh that one of the one or two of those videos as well. Okay. I'll put that in the show notes. Also uh, I want to mention we've been putting some things up on, as I mentioned earlier, that we put stuff on our YouTube channel. So we'll have a link to our YouTube channel and some of those uh, Easy Pack videos that we just uploaded. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh, a shout out to Amy for some of our fancy new graphics yeah, thank that are you, going Amy. on. Thank you very um, much. Yeah. So I think that pretty much brings us to the end unless you got anything else major you're wanting to talk about um nope that is uh that is all i really need i think yeah i think that's it you just think thanks for um thanks to amy for for working with us and and kind of doing some of the things we've been thinking about for a while helping us get them done um and uh you know thanks for listening and jumping out on some of her own projects that we hadn't thought about yeah absolutely um, between now and ep next episode, if you have questions, things you want to know more about servos that we hadn't talked about or that we did talk about, and I did a terrible job explaining, so you need more cl clarification, let us know. Reach out to us. Um, aviationrcnoob at gmail.com. Talk to us on our Discord server. Hit us up on the Facebooks. Uh, any of those methods will work. Or, we'll or tell on, us uh, what kind of projects, uh, what, what kind of projects you would love to see or be part of uh, for Flight Fest next year, if you're thinking about it. Because we're we're thinking about it now, and I'm sure it's going to go all over the the board and back again by the time we land on something. But we would love to hear thoughts that you guys might have. Absolutely, 
And at some point during this, uh, I realized that I had lost my normal level of energy. It was in a very low sound. So uh, I will do as both the courtesy of amping it back up for <laughs> for getting out of here at least. Um, you ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, guys. As always, thank you for tuning in and listening. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we've enjoyed having the conversations. Hopefully, they have done you some good. Uh, as I stated earlier, if you have any questions about what we've talked about, things you want to know more about, uh, thoughts in general, concerns, anything like that, feel free to reach out to us, aviationrcnoob at gmail.com. You can reach Matthew at Matthew at aviationrcnoob.com, or you can reach me, Joe at aviationrcnoob.com. Dot com. Feel free to hit us up on Discord. Uh, there'll be a link to join the Discord server down in the doobly-doo. Thank you, Matthew Coville. Um, you can also <laughs> touch base I, with us. I, I can't think of it any other way. <laughs> I really can can't. T- like... <laughs> You can also touch base with us on our Facebook uh, group. Again, it's a group, not a page now. So there's two of them out there. I just don't want to shut the old uh, page down because I don't want the guys out that are on that page to feel like we're shutting them out. I don't know. Um, Yeah, as always, thank you to our patrons uh, who continue to help keep the lights on. And thank you to you guys for continuing to tune in and listen and be an ever-so-supporting community um and the reason that we come back and do this every every other week um and matthew you got nothing else i have nothing else at this time we'll talk to you next time bye guys